that football group is doing. Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So Who cares about what people think about us. Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL podcast. It is finally here. Week one. It's your week one preview, Sam. You ready to go? Football is back. Officially. Pretty exciting. Thursday by the, night. By the time a lot of people listen to this, there'll have been a game. There'll have like already been real one. a real game. In the 2021 NFL season, we're recording here Thursday morning. We're going to go through every single game except the Cowboys-Bucks game because we previewed that yesterday on the big show here on the NFL, uh, PFF NFL podcast. Don't forget, we've got that extra show on Wednesday, so just kind of add that to your calendar. It's just more Sam and Steve, more Steve and Sam mm-hmm. every single week. So Monday, Wednesday, and then this is our Thursday preview show. So we're into, we're into season mode now. And when we get here on Monday, we'll be reviewing all of those games. So let's get right into it. We're going to preview every single game, and we'll give a little bit of love to the biggest games of the week. Do you want to start with uh there's a couple good ones, man. There's some really good ones. Steelers Bills? Yeah. Start with Steelers Bills. So. All right, let's get right into it. Steelers and the Bills. We've spent a lot of the offseason, I think, the Bills getting hyped up, the Steelers kind of getting torn down a little bit. You've started to come back around on the Steelers now. What are you thinking about this game? Yeah, and this is like the test of that, right? It's it's uh, Pittsburgh's offensive line actually looked okay in preseason, but that's preseason. Does that still hold when real bullets start to fly and you go up against one of the better defenses in the NFL? Um, now, I think there are more challenging teams to face in terms of an elite pass rush than Buffalo. But the Bills, they were top six, I think, last year in pressure rate. They've added a bunch of new bodies this year to that defensive front. Gregory Rousseau, um, guys that should make an impact on that pass rush. So it's a good test, at least. It might not be the stiffest, the most difficult test you're going to find. Uh, for that Pittsburgh offensive line, but I think it's a fair one. If they can hold their head up above water against Buffalo's defensive front, the Steelers are going to be okay this season. And here's what's happened with the Steelers. They wanted to have uh, Chukwuma Okorafor move from right tackle to left tackle to take that spot to replace Alejandro Villanueva this year and have Zach Banner step in at right tackle. Zach Banner is currently on injured reserve, so he'll miss at least a few weeks. That moves Okorafor back to right tackle, and rookie third-rounder Dan Moore steps in at left tackle. Now, which way does this go? Dan Moore had a 69.4 grade last year in the SEC, Mm. okay, at Texas A&M, 69 grade. Sorry, he was a fourth-round pick. But he had an excellent preseason. So how do you how do you weigh this thing? It was it was it was nice to see Dan Moore, you know, uh, play well in the preseason. Did have one bad game his last game against the Panthers, but overall looked pretty good. I still look at this as a weakness for the Steelers. And yes, I do expect the Bills pass rush, which rolls seven or eight deep. I mean, they've got a lot of players along that defensive line. It's definitely one of the matchups to watch in this one. Yeah, I mean, that's part of the reason why, you know, you you don't think of them as a great pass rushing team, but they're able to get a lot of pressure at a pretty high rate because 
it comes from everywhere. Like Jerry Hughes was the only guy last year, again, you know, that had a ton of pressure. Jerry Hughes, I think, had over 50. Nobody, like the, the highest, the next highest guy, I think was uh, 31 maybe. Um, but this is not a team that's going to get a ton of pressure across the board. It just all starts to add up. So Jerry Hughes with 54, Mario Addison had 39, Ed Oliver 35, Quentin Jefferson 27. Like they just get a lot of pressure from a bunch of different sources. And now they've upgraded sort of, you know, players three through five of those of the the guys that are getting pressure so yeah again I, I don't think it's the most intimidating pass rush you could face but you should come out of this game with a pretty good idea of how capable that Pittsburgh offensive line is going to be at just being viable remember this is not like the target for this offensive line is not greatness it's not even being good it's just don't be the reason we can't get anything going on offense can I remind you what they did last year by the way they did have the number four rated pass blocking offensive line as much as they they were maligned last year Marquise Pouncey Ali Villanueva uh, who's the guard that just David DeCastro my goodness <laughs> it's week one for all of us mm. all those guys are gone right two of them retired Villanueva over to the Ravens they were a good pass blocking offensive line but number 31 as a run blocking unit now the line is six and a half uh, per our friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook DraftKings We'll be providing all the lines here on the NFL, PFF NFL podcast this season. Six and a half, favoring the Bills. They're at home. But I do think everybody believes they're the best team. We're, we're, we're questioning the Steelers' offensive line. The, the matchup that I wanted to look at is the Steelers' secondary, where I feel like it's another Bills' advantage, right? I mean, the Steelers just traded for Arkello Witherspoon last week. Yeah, and we'll see if he's ready to step in right away. But... I think the other big story for the Steelers was the secondary, right? You don't have Steven Nelson back. Joe Hayden's a year older. You bring in Witherspoon. I like Cameron Sutton there. They were ready to roll with James Pierre as the as the corner. We'll see if he gets some playing time. But I think the Steelers' secondary is another big question mark against a great group of receivers that the Bills have. Yeah, and remember, we saw this matchup last year. This was, what, week 14, I think, was in the midst of or at the beginning of Pittsburgh's collapse. Remember, this was an 11-0 team. And at that point, we were all saying the Steelers are due for a couple of losses because they've been riding their luck a little bit. They're not as good as an undefeated team at this point. And then fast forward a little bit, you're you're facing Buffalo. It's another loss. And suddenly the wheels are starting to come off this wagon completely. Pittsburgh collapses down the stretch. So they, they lost this game. They didn't get a ton going on offense. And that was with you know, three able veteran offensive linemen that they don't have to deal with or they don't have uh, on the roster anymore and have to replace. So I, I think it's going to be interesting to see do the thing, does that dynamic still hold that, you know, Pittsburgh were not necessarily able to get a ton going on offense. Roethlisberger passed for under 200 yards, had a couple of big mistakes in there as well. His average time to throw was lightning quick, so they were trying to get rid of the ball quickly. That is the whole dynamic that is concerning if that offensive line sucks. I, I will say, on the other side, so let's let's give a positive for the Steelers. Josh Allen has played two career games against the Steelers. He's got a 61.4 passing grade, including about a 61 last year in their matchup. So during Allen's MVP caliber season, they did a nice job against the Steelers from a from just a pass game standpoint. I think Allen did a better job in the second half and, and the Bills pulled away. But it is it is a matchup that has not been favorable for the Bills just yet, even though, again, I think on paper, 
it's it's a good one with the Bills receivers right. and, and their defensive line and but some critically, of those advantages. Yeah, critically, the Steelers have the kind of pass rush that can put any quarterback under pressure. And one of the kind of things that sneaks by about Allen last year is that he still wasn't great under pressure at all. Now, that's a, we've said before, that's an unstable thing. It fluctuates. It's not necessarily something to lean on. But Allen last year, when you were able to get pressure on him, didn't perform anything like as well as he did when he was kept clean or when he didn't have to when they didn't have the heat applied and against Pittsburgh that game he was pressured on 22 dropbacks and kept clean on 24 so they got pressure on 48 percent of his dropbacks which is higher than their you know baseline rate of the season and when they did Allen's overall grade was 37 so <laughs> that, a, that was 49 the 49 grade just against the blitz in his career against in his two games against the Steelers right. 49 grade against the Blitz which again you know the Steelers are going to but attack. just in that game 86 when he was kept clean 37 when he wasn't that's the big difference like if if the Steelers are still going to generate pressure at the same kind of rate this year Allen will be in for a tough day it's not an easy thing to overcome and this will be interesting for Allen a guy that we've seen the the straight upward trajectory and and you would say last year at this time you would say hey play play more zone against him make him be patient and pick you apart uh or if you blitz him like crazy you know sometimes he'll be a little erratic you know if those are parts of his game that he continues to improve i mean he becomes he becomes unstoppable we'll learn a lot about him i think here in week one speaking of josh allen i believe you've made a purchase this i morning. did make the purchase i purchased the josh allen jersey three to seven business days it'll officially be here <laughs> And then I will uh, we'll have somebody fire up the uh, the apology letter, and I'll, I'll sign it. Excellent. I got the road jersey, the road white. Okay. I like that a little better. All right. I think that's fair, right? I mean, I, I have no opinion on the subject either way. Okay, so I got I've the, signed the form. I'm in good standing. Got the Josh Allen road jersey. Um, anyway, I think in this game, I think the trenches, the Steelers are also fantastic in their front seven. So them going up against that Bills offensive line will be a good matchup to watch. Six and a half here, Sam. What are you thinking as far as uh, who's going to win and, and who's going to cover? Um, <clears throat> I'm going to lean Pittsburgh. I, I think that generally to speaking. Cover? Yes. Okay. I think that generally speaking, I'm still on board with this idea that we, we went too far. We overcorrected for the idea that Pittsburgh was a worse team than they looked early last season. And we've written off what is still a functionally good side. Like, I don't, if the offensive line is anything north of train wreck, the Steelers are going to be fine. And as you say, like they bring enough pressure that Josh Allen's day is probably not going to be amazing. It's going to be, I know they did it last time, but it's going to be tricky for Buffalo, I think, to cover that big a line against Pittsburgh. I, I, Emmanuel Sanders is questionable, but I, I, I think the Bills have, they still have the receivers, man. They, yeah. They've got the guys to spread it and throw. And I think, I, I like the Bills in this one because Brian Dayball and the Bills have done a really good job of knowing their opponents' strengths and weaknesses. And I think when you look at the Steelers' front, you're not, they're not just going to establish the run and try to jam it in there. I think it's a, it's a spread-to-throw type of game maybe, and get the, get the ball out of Allen's hands, and I think he'll be able to do that well with Stephon Diggs and with Cole Beasley, Gabe, Gabriel Davis. If Sanders is out there, I think they'll do a good job of that. So I like the Bills in this one to win and to cover, man. I think they can do it. Uh, I'll take the Bills to win, but Pittsburgh to cover. All right, cool. Uh, before we get into the next game, fantasy football draft season is upon us. We got to give out a give a shout out to our friends at Manscaped. Today's sponsor for the show, the leaders 
and below the waist grooming. They just launched their new, launched their new performance package 2.0. Join the 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped to get ready for kickoff by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping using the promo code PFF. This will help you, you know, tame the Troy Polamalu in your pants, mm -hmm. as they say. Inside mm -hmm. their Performance Package 4.0, you'll find the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, the Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, Crop Reviver Toner, Performance Boxer Briefs, and a Travel Bag in the 4.0. Like, this is what you need. We've been here since, since the 1.0, Sam, and they've already moved up to the 4.0. It's the, it's, it's the best that they have at Manscaped. You get 20% off plus free shipping with the promo code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. We're no longer putting the PP back in PPR. This, we've passed the fantasy season, so that's gone now. A little inside baseball. We adjusted. Oh, it's a shame. We've adjusted uh, the way we're uh, pushing this whole thing. I like that one, though. That was good. By the way, shout out to all the live uh, YouTubers here. We appreciate you guys. We'll be here every single Thursday right around this time, right around 1030 previewing. Um, I forgot to tweet it out. So we need I to get more people. It. Did you? Yeah. Okay. Let me just uh, tweet it out really quick. What's the next game on our list here? Next game is Seattle at Indianapolis. Ooh, I like this one. Yeah. Um, I know we 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 pushed the the Chiefs. I mean, the Chiefs and Browns are probably the best game on paper for this this week. I'm really excited about the Seahawks Colts game. There's a lot of storylines here. New Seattle offense, Carson Wentz, and everything. What are you looking for in this one? Yeah, I mean, it, it's got to start with Wentz. I think. How healthy is he? The, is he healthy after that foot injury <laughs> removing a bone from your foot which i still can't get past as a concept right it feels like you probably don't need it right but that how is that possible it feels like if there's a bone there it should probably be there yeah, and you, some are more useful than others taking them away that, that that can't be good you're a doctor you know not, not 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 all bones are created equal here. of course um so you know is he healthy and then b even if he is what does he look like within this Frank Reich offense? How close to old Carson Wentz, as if that was a constant, how close to old Carson Wentz and where on that spectrum is he going to land within this current offense? I just think generally analyzing what Carson Wentz looks like within this Colts offense now is going to be a fascinating thing to watch for the entire season, but certainly in week one. We get to see the Colts offensive line. I mean, one of the question marks on Seattle's defense is pass rush. They did not have... Any. a good pass rush at all last year we've mentioned this a lot jamal adams was their best pass rusher i don't know if you're going to see much this week and uh remember last year i was every single week last year i was pulling out the most ridiculous philip rivers stats because rivers went from years of playing behind the chargers offensive line where he was pressured like crazy and he would have games where he was pressured five times six times like that was a quarter of uh, of play with the chargers that was a full game for this Colts offensive line. And by week five or six, Rivers had like the lowest pressure rate in the NFL. We could see that again with this Colts offensive line and with Carson Wentz. Now, what does Wentz do with it? So repeating myself, for the nine millionth time this offseason, who's he going to throw to? Who emerges? And this could be a good week against Seattle with, with a questionable pass rush, questions in the secondary. Do we see Michael Pittman or Paris Campbell or Michael Strawn? Who do we see emerge for the Colts here? The Seahawks' pass rushing grades last season are just hilarious. Two players had a pass rushing grade above 80. Uh, Jamal Adams is one of them, and Bobby Wagner is the other one. Be along for the interview anytime soon. Um, Let's talk to Bobby about that Seattle pass rush. So only two of them. Their leading pressure, the, the leading player in terms of total pressures was Carlos Dunlap 
He had a pass rushing grade of 62.3 because he rushed the passer 409 times to get those 40 pressures. Um, so like Wagner and Adams were legitimately their best two pass rushers. They were two of the top seven in terms of total pressures. The guys they actually need rushing the passer at a high level are just absent. They're just completely not there. Dunlap represents maybe the best hope because if you reverse a few years, there's a season where he was reasonably good against as a pass rusher. But, like, again, you look on paper and you wonder where is this pressure coming from because they've got these they've got a ton of guys that are pretty good against the run there's just no obvious like performer when it comes to rushing the passer i mean i want to see what seattle believes about their defense as well because there was a point last year where wagner we rushed like 20 times in one game as a blitzing linebacker you just don't do that with linebackers um having jamal adams come up and play uh, as a blitzer slash edge rusher. I mean, it's just, it's not in Seattle's nature. They want to play their traditional scheme where everybody's got their role right. and they just, these are you things know, wrap you do. it out. Yeah, these are things you do to cover up a weakness somewhere. Like you you try and fix something with something else, which is fine, only it then exposes something on the back end. Like when you're, when you're sending Bobby Wagner or Jamal Adams on the blitz so much, you are leaving gaping holes behind them, which teams are exploiting. Like this... Cover three, cover one type of defense. We talked before about how generally it's fading. It's becoming a system that is, I don't want to use the term, been figured out, but that offenses are better equipped than they used to be to combat. But with Seattle, there's always the complicating factor of, well, how much of it is the scheme just being um, worked out and how much of it is look at the roster or the, the playing personnel on the Legion of Boom and then look at the playing personnel right now and just see where it's been eroded everywhere. Um, and we always think about the secondary and all those guys they had there, and then the linebackers. But also, that Legion of Boom, like the front four was dominant. They had a ton of guys that could get pressure and cause you serious problems, in addition to having Richard Sherman and Earl Thomas and Cam Chancellor and all those guys in the back end. Again, like none of that is there now. You don't have any, any of the studs on the back end unless you want to put Jamal Adams into, the, into that category. And the front seven can't get any pressure without sending people from the back. Like it, I mentioned that this offseason. Is it actually a fragile defensive scheme, not a great one? Is it one that is just reliant on every single le level of the defense, not necessarily having stars, but just being good, you yeah. know, to your point? Um, so I want to see what Seattle's defense looks like. I want to see what Seattle's new offense looks like as well. This whole offseason talking about Russ, it's been a long offseason, Sam. Mm. But remember, this was the offseason. Russ was on Dan Patrick saying, oh, I don't want to take as many hits, right? And they have a new offense, and it's supposed to be up-tempo, and it's, uh, it's the McVeigh tree, right? Shane Waldron comes over from the Rams. Do they still rely on what what Russ does best, which throw the ball down the field? That's what DK Metcalf does best. Tyler Lockett is an excellent vertical threat. How much of the horizontal pass game is in there? Uh, Pete Carroll's tripling down on you got to run the ball. I do think this system can help them run the ball a little bit more outside zone and some of the trickeration and motion that they have to maybe uh, help the offensive line a little bit. I do think Seattle will run the ball better. I'm just curious to know how much this passing game does evolve and if they have more answers, you know me, answers to what defenses are throwing at them. And this is a game against a Colts defense that likes to play a lot of zone. Number eight coverage grade in the NFL last year. Don't give up a ton of big plays. It could test what Seattle wants to do. Will Russ and the Seattle offense have enough patience 
to put together those 10 play drives. And also with all the quick game stuff, we, we think about that in terms of, you know, is it actually, can we get Russell Wilson some help by executing the quick game better? But also it might save him from himself a little bit because sure. one of the aspects of all that, hey, I'm tired of getting hit so much. I mean, we were saying at the time, you are personally responsible for a lot of that. Like he was, we charged him for like a hundred plus sacks of the 400 that he's taken quarter. That's huge yeah. in terms of quarterbacks play. Now you can say that's Russell Wilson's fault, but also this is the, this is the way they've leaned into playing, right? Essentially let Russell Wilson run around back there, manufacture an opening and then launch a deep bomb. And that's where Russ is at his best. But this is a little bit like, remember when Andrew Luck for years, the, the Colts were kind of playing this way. It's like, don't invest in the offensive line. Don't try and get the ball out of Luck's hands. Let him work, right? And he's amazing at it, and he's making it function, and you get those plays where he's, like, throwing a touchdown pass despite a guy, like, hanging onto his ankles at the time. Um, but then they had that one year where they, they ramped up the use of the quick game. They got the ball out of his hands quicker, and it's like, hey, you know what? This guy that is incredible when he does hold the ball a long time is also kind of incredible when you just get the ball out of his hands quickly. And if you employ the quick game, you take a lot off his plate and make life easier, and he's still able to do all the incredible stuff. So I think there's something, uh, there's a question about whether that applies to Russ as well. That yes, the deep ball and the big plays are the thing that he does best, but how much of his life do you make easier if you just get, start getting the ball out of his hands quicker on a percentage of plays? Like, do you raise his overall level of efficiency, reduce the amount of time he's under pressure, and does it just make everything better from a collective point of view? I, I've thought that Deshaun Watson was a bit more of an extreme example of this than Russ because Watson, Wilson's better. I think at diagnosing the blitz and pressure and managing it and all that stuff, even though he does take a lot of sacks. Uh, Watson always had a few plays per game where it was just really bad. It's like, man, you got to cut those out. But what? where is that balance, right? It is tough to find that balance of give the quarterback a few free plays and easier ones and all that stuff versus tapping into that incredible playmaking ability. So you know, th that's going to be an interesting storyline to me. The last time that, Drew, that uh, Russell Wilson had more than 50% of his dropbacks come out in under two and a half seconds was 2016. Last season, uh, let's raise the percentage a little bit. Last season, 18 quarterbacks. Or sorry, that was 2016, 18 quarterbacks. Last season, uh, change the filter. Carry on. Last season, 10 quarterbacks got the ball out of their hands more than 50% of the time in under two and a half seconds. So, like, that's the thing that needs to change. Like, they're trying to move that percentage so that a greater percentage of Russell Wilson's passes are just out of his hands quickly, and he doesn't have to play hero ball. And by the way, amongst those quarterbacks, Tom Brady, who had an aggressive downfield offense. Like, it's not like Brady is... Right, they, they found the balance of both. Exactly. It's not like Brady's dink and dunk. Matthew Stafford, who we're talking about as the guy that opens up the deep passing game and the secondary throws and all those things for the Rams. Like, there are quarterbacks that had aggressive downfield attacks that still had that balance shifted in that direction so the seahawks are favored by two and a half it's in indianapolis so indoors to seattle passing attack yep. you should be able to chuck it around they might it might be open the colts like to keep the dome open early in the season if the weather's nice but either way i mean i think it should be favorable passing conditions 
um, two and a half on the road. Seattle traveling east. We got to mention that every single time they're traveling to the east uh, eastern time zone. What do you what do you where, who do you like in this one? Uh, I really this is one that I don't have I don't have a great feeling on it. I think this could go either way. Um, I'm really curious. There's so much up in the air about both these teams, especially um, Wentz, right? Like really yeah. quick, Wentz was the worst quarterback in the league. The last time we saw Carson Wentz, his, he was the worst quarterback in the NFL. His range of proven outcomes has literally been MVP versus worst quarterback in the NFL. That's it doesn't get do. any more extreme than that. And, you know, his career, I mean, if you reversed his career, it would make more sense, <laughs> right? You start off as the worst quarterback in the league, you get a little bit guys. better, a little bit better, and then in year four, which is really year two for him, you're like, oh, MVP candidate, look at him turning it around. Yeah. Which is why the Josh Allen thing is interesting, right? It's not this, it's not always linear growth. It's like a lot of random. And Wentz is just a whole bunch of random. Yeah, I mean, I think I would lean Seattle because just for the quarterbacks. It's like whatever these, this Russell Wilson new offense looks like, Russell Wilson has a high degree of confidence that he will be good. You don't have that with Carson Wentz. It could be anywhere. All right, well, two and a half on DraftKings. I'll take Seattle to win and to cover because I'm just – I just don't know what I'm going to get from Wentz. I will change my tune based off what I see, honestly, in week one based off what I see in, in, from Carson Wentz. This is, uh, this is the overreaction game for you, no matter what happens in this game? But my usual shtick is to sit there in week <laughs> seven and be like, well, I got to go back to what I thought in the offseason. I'm still not buying in mm. yet. But Wentz is one of those things where he's at such levels of extreme. If he looks terrible again, I'm going to buy into it. If he looks back to somewhat normal, I'll buy into, okay, that's what he is. I'm also curious for the Colts' point of view, like how – how prone they're going to be to overreacting to week-to-week -week wins. Like, are they in this for the long haul that they're willing to, you know, slowly chip away at this block of marble and try and revive, like, the masterpiece? Or is this, like, Wentz has got, like, three weeks to show something viable. Otherwise, we're bailing on this season. We're cutting bait. We're getting the second-round pick so. gone, and we're no, putting Jacob I'd, Eason in there. Just moving up around as a draft pick is not worth it that much. Ball Chris Ballard is at a point where it's it's time to win. This is a playoff-caliber roster. They're going to do everything they can to maximize that. All of our lines are coming from DraftKings, and they've got a great deal for you because the NFL's back, and you can get in on all the action before opening night kicks off with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. And with the NFL returning, DraftKings is giving all customers the opportunity to participate in this year's no-brainer offer. It's DraftKings Sportsbook moving the spread to Tampa Bay plus 73 for all customers. That means you can still cash in as long as the reigning champs don't lose by more than 74 points against the Cowboys, the Dallas team, tonight. Mm. If you haven't tried DraftKings yet, don't miss out. DraftKings is giving new customers $200 in free bets instantly when they bet $1 or more on any football game. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFFBET. We've changed it. It's PFF bet, B-E-T. New customers bet $1 on any football game to receive $200 in free bets instantly with promo code PFF bet this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. Free bet promotion for new customers only. Minimum $5 deposit. Max wager limits apply. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana at 1-800-9-WITH-IT. You know where that number comes from? 73? The 73 to nothing was largest, it a championship game? Yeah. Championship largest game. largest margin of defeat in NFL history, and it happened in the equivalent of the Super was Bowl. Was it Washington, Chicago? It was. Yeah. Look at me. 
NFL yeah. trivia. The Chicago bottle. Bears trounced the Washington. What year was that? Thirties. Nineteen forty. Forties. Okay. Uh, in the championship game by a score of seventy-three to nothing. Oh, look at that DraftKings little little nod, nod to history. Yeah. Imagine getting to the championship game, getting blown out seventy-three nothing. In the forties, by the way, when games were routinely like eight four. Right. Twitter must have been so upset back then. Think about yeah, that. yeah. Uh, we expected a big game, and it's seventy-three nothing here. All right. All right. Maybe the biggest game of the weekend: Cleveland Browns at the Kansas City Chiefs. Man, I don't want to see this in Week One. I don't what? like marquee Week One matchup games. You don't like marquee Week One matchup games. No, that's the worst take you've ever had. I like it Week Fifteen, Week Sixteen. But they're not mutually exclusive. They will happen throughout the season. Yeah, I just think teams change so much after week one and everything. You're not getting a true. You're just not getting a true. Yeah. What is Ben? <laughs> there's a pretty, I mean, there's a reasonable chance that these teams play each other three times this season. You're complaining that one of them is week one? Three times? Yeah. Could you explain? The Browns oh. and Chiefs? Sorry, I'm thinking they were in the same division. Twice. No, they're not. We might see so it again. So if it's a division game, yeah, it's yeah, different. Okay. You know you're going to see it again. This we is might, not a division game. But we might see them again, is my point. And you're complaining that week one is when it's going to happen. We might see them again. Yeah. We saw them in the divisional round. Um, championship round. All the same. hype. That's your champion, AFC championship, right? No, I had the Ravens going to the Super Bowl. You had the Ravens. Games. Okay. Yeah, so it was probably mine then. I didn't probably, really pay attention. It was yours. Yeah, you had the I didn't Browns. really care about the AFC once we were, uh, once we were pitching the Washington Browns thing. over the Chiefs. Ben sent me a play to watch so I could just react live to it on YouTube here. Okay. Let's see how it goes. What is it? Oh, oh. A guy from Louisiana Tech knocked a dude's helmet off. Well, that That's made great. for great podcasting. Well done. It's really good. Yeah. Really good. What are you expecting in this game? Is the, can, we, can we, I guess my point is, can we learn anything? After all the hype for the Browns, like last, last year they were trash in week one against the Ravens. Yeah. If they come out and lay an egg again in week one, the Browns against the Chiefs, the Chiefs roll, are we just like, oh, we overreacted to the Browns? Like, it doesn't mean anything. If it's, if it's the middle of the season, it just means more. Sure, it means more, but I don't think it means nothing in week one. Week one is always weird because you do get some strange results just somewhere, right? There are going to be games here where nobody saw it coming and there's just a weird result. And it's like, oh, that's a week one thing that happens. I don't, if last year, the early games for Cleveland, their entire season was very difficult last year because so much of it was like mitigating circumstances, right? No preseason, no real time to put all this together. COVID, everyone meeting by Zoom, all this kind of stuff. And their week one game is against Baltimore, right? It's like you have an offense that hasn't really bedded in and figured out what it's doing yet. And you're going against the most blitz-happy team in the NFL that has creative blitzes. It was an automatic nightmare, and they got annihilated. And then you face the Bengals' defense. And it's like, well, that's the opposite problem. The Bengals' defense is so soft that you can't learn anything because, of course, you're going to beat, it, beat up on it. And then it bounces back to, like, Pittsburgh – Back to the other problem again, nightmare. And then you get the weather game. Like you bait right off almost their entire season. This year, I think you can look at this game, and if the Browns get get annihilated by the Chiefs, I don't think it means a ton because eh, depending on how it happens. But you can look at this and you can say, look, a lot of new faces on this team. The secondary is going to take time to come together. The fact that they just got eviscerated for 250 yards by Tyreek Hill. Yeah. Eh, I mean, I can see it, right? If the Browns win though like if the browns show up well again and actually take it to kansas city and beat them i mean i think that's significant yeah it's it's gonna be a, the, the four o'clock window is fantastic you've got this game we'll, we'll talk dolphins patriots packers saints it's gonna be a, a great 4 p.m window here 
Um, the narrative, we, we talk a lot about the Bucks narrative, right? Last year when you were like, oh, they'll get better, they'll get better. They went to the bye and then they didn't mm-hmm. lose. I mean, that was the Brown story too, right? New offense and they figured it out after the bye. They were just talking about this. Like that's their narrative. The other narrative is the OBJ thing and it, maybe it's just coincidence. So I, I want to see how that plays out as well because the Browns also have the offensive line and the run game to do the thing you predict every single week when you're playing the Chiefs, sit on the ball and run it and keep it out of Mahomes' hands and all that stuff. Could you see that be how this plays out? Browns with the number one offensive line, the great Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt back there, run, run, play action, get the Chiefs moving and, uh, you know, trying to slow the game and just lose a couple possessions. Sure. I mean, I think they're more balanced than that. Baltimore's Baltimore is uniquely interesting to me as a matchup for Kansas City because I think theoretically that is the best bet to beat a team like Kansas City. Um, like this this hyper-run-focused offense that just doesn't exist but, anywhere else. By the way, the Chiefs are built to stop that now, though. Moving Chris Jones to the edge. So he's moving to the edge. Sort of. And the guys that are on the interior, Derek Noddy and, and Jaron Reed, I mean, they're just going to have bigger bodies up there. I think they're more equipped to stop the run than they have in, in the past the browns i think are slightly different because that should just be a really well balanced offense that's capable of doing everything so i think they're capable of sort of going almost toe-to-toe with kansas city in a slugfest um but they're they will it'll take longer for them they're less explosive because of how balanced they are on offense and that they can run the ball for a, a you know sequence of plays and keep on ticking that way um, to me, the two most interesting things are just one, how quickly does this Brown secondary come together? All yeah. the new faces, does it gel initially? Does, is it going to take some time? Is it going to gel at all over the course of the season? And two, the Odell Beckham thing, right? I don't see a good reason why Odell Beckham won't work within this offense, but he hasn't yet. Now, it could just be coincidence. It could just be timing and uh, all those foreign outside influences that have, have impacted this, injuries, all that kind of stuff. Or there could be something to the idea of you have this number one superstar personality wide receiver, and when he's on the field, you want to feed him the ball, whether you should or not. The Calvin Johnson theory, the, the gravity that Odell Beckham has within the play calling, within where Baker Mayfield wants to go with the ball, changes how he plays in a not positive direction. I, there could be... That could be a thing. Negative I, gravity, not defensive gravity. But yeah, Baker's like a different, a different style of gravity. So usually people talk about gravity for a wide receiver in terms of how the receiver drags coverage in his direction, right? So safety start rolling in his direction. Everything starts to pull towards this receiver and therefore away from other players. But I think you can probably also talk about it in terms of where he drags the quarterback's eyes. So... Calvin Johnson, New Hopkins, Odell Beckham now perhaps, do they start to pull the quarterback's attention away from where it should be on a given play and just automatically default towards throwing the ball in their direction? Yeah, it's going to be a good one, man. I, that's, that's a big story, this Browns offense. Uh, they, the, the Browns had an opportunity. Remember last year in the game, Mahomes got hurt and Chad Henney came in in the divisional round. More mitigation, by the way, for like, you know, you can't tell you can't just can't take anything from Cleveland season. It's all meaningless because every it's single not, game has something just, ridiculous. You've completely happened. overblown that entire point, by the way. I haven't. You can't not take anything from Cleveland season because they played there's a like, few weather. There's games. like four games where it's like That's a, ridiculous. There's, where it's an even playing field and you can say it's this ridiculous. game actually makes you sense. Just play on the football field that you play. 
I mean, that's right. It. But you have to factor in the idea that in all these different games, something happened that. But that here's, does, that here's what a, you take away. It from isn't that. a fair takeaway. They didn't score enough points against the Chiefs. They just they just didn't of score course. enough. They points. didn't win the game, so you're not like. But the point is, everyone's like, oh, they ran the Chiefs really close. Like, yeah, but the Chiefs had Chad Henney at quarterback. Of course, they ran them close. Right, but that's I mean the wrong takeaway is well they were close. The right takeaway is that's everybody's takeaway. they didn't score enough points. Everybody's takeaway is Cleveland game. is really good. Look how they almost beat the Chiefs. I do find it interesting because I, I think that the, the Browns' offensive line is fantastic, as we've said. Everybody graded well except left tackle Jedrick Wills. He was a rookie last year. I think he'll get a little bit better this year. Everybody graded well. The Chiefs are rolling out there with Chris Jones, who is one of the best interior defensive linemen. He's moving to the edge now because they didn't love their edge defenders. It's now him. And Frank Clark, Jaron Reed, Derek Nottie, Tershawn Wharton, uh, Callan Saunders. Like, it's a bunch of big dudes that are going to be rotating in there. And there were games in the Chiefs' world over the last four or five years where they got run over like crazy. And I don't know if that was a specific point that they made. Like, hey, we don't want to give up 200 yards in the ground. We don't want to have those games. And not that it happens all the time, but we just don't want to have those games where we're run over. Will that? How will that affect the pass rush? You're moving Chris Jones. I mean, I think he'll be a pretty good pass rusher off the edge, but how's that going to affect their ability to get after the quarterback spags ability to you know to mix it up on the back set back end like he does with their blitz schemes and their coverage schemes and how how unprecedented is what they're doing with chris jones taking a guy who is top three as an interior defensive tackle let's call him um but a pure interior defensive tackle and moving him effectively full time to like a legitimate edge rushing position as, how many times has that happened before? There are guys that always... J.J. Watt, kind of. But his, yeah. his was more like a 3-4 and to a 4-3. Yeah, there are like guys that have pressure. always split the two. Did you know, John like, Randall do it? I mean, was, John was Randall, there? I think, always Sorry. bounced between the two. Like, always was in this... There were a lot of players that had that 3-4 system and were sort of hybrid. Like but, they were nickel, but they were nickel edges. Yeah, like more. Bruce Smith was always a, more of a hybrid than he was this, like, right. everyone's like, oh, Bruce Smith with 200 sacks from an interior position. Yeah, but what you saw, of. Yeah, what you saw back then was the 3-4 defensive end was also the 4-3 yes. defensive end. They actually and it was were a much guys more, that were built to do Even Reggie White did right. some of that. And it was a much more even split because teams weren't playing nickel 90% of As the time. Much, right, right. So, but yeah, J.J. Watt is probably the, the most pure the most pure example of that in, and in this particular game we'll learn a little bit about that because the browns aren't a spread you out type of team they're going to run yeah. uh, with fullback and tight ends and stuff so you'll, you'll see more base defense uh, from the chiefs so schematically there's there's just some interesting stuff here it's the chiefs by five and a half per our friends over at DraftKings. does the, uh, they're at home um remember last year the chiefs i thought they had a good game against the texans they didn't blow out a texans team that we that turned out to be really bad at the end of the day hmm. Um, so as far, and I think the Chiefs are talking about they don't want to start slow. They don't want to start slow this year. So um, I think they'll be what else all those teams that do. Right. I don't know how much that stuff matters. <laughs> like let's focus on turnovers. Okay. Yeah, we want two a game. That's all we want. We'll get it. We'll definitely get it. Um, so where are you going on this one? Five and a half. I mean, as with all predictions and bets and all these kinds of things, you your starting position should be that the Chiefs are really good and better than everybody else and they will cover and win. So that's where I'm starting. That's your starting position? Yeah. I'll also take the Chiefs in this one. I'll take the Chiefs to win and cover. I think I've been going with the favorites overall here. What huh? does PFF Greenline say? If you don't know what PFF Greenline is, it is 
our betting tool on pff.com where all the data that we have is leveraged towards figuring out where you should put your money. Wait, are we still giving 30% off? I have no idea. Well, the promo codes kick off 30, <laughs> kick off 30. If that takes 30% off. There has not off. been a kickoff yet. If that takes 30% off, then it's still working. Kick off 30 is the promo code, kick off 30. If you're in the YouTube comments right now, I know you guys, I know you guys still have access to it. If you're in podcast land, you still might have access to it because we don't like to cut it off right away, right when there's the first kickoff. Right. Um, so kick off 30, 30% off any of these PFF subscriptions. So Greenline leverages all of the PFF data and effectively predicts what the line should be or what the win probability of these various teams are so that you can figure out where you want to put your money. Uh, Greenline has it at 5.6. So pretty Chiefs. close. Right. Pretty close to, uh, to Vegas, pretty close to what DraftKings is right now. All the money is coming in on Kansas City, though. 61% of cash. So not as much Cleveland. Uh, the KC hype over overrates the uh, Cleveland hype. Um, I did mention on the on the daily, if there is an individual matchup that I really want to see, anytime Denzel Ward. Denzel Ward has the the footwork, the speed and all that stuff to maybe match Tyreek Hill, match whatever that's worth. Not many people can truly match hmm. Tyreek Hill. But if Denzel Ward gets some one-on-ones with Tyreek Hill, I think that's some some must-see TV. I mean, I would say that's, <laughs> that's perhaps generous to Denzel Ward. Maybe has the best bet of all the Cleveland DBs to achieve that. But of all the DBs in the league, who matches up best against Tyreek Hill? Like Jonathan Jones did some good stuff in with the, the Patriots. League. Yeah, I mean, Jonathan Jones. Denzel Ward's got to be one of uh, J- Jair Alexander. Jonathan Jones runs a 4-3 flat. That's probably as good as you're going to get. Denzel, of all the DBs in the NFL, Denzel think- Ward has one of the best potential skill sets to stop Tyreek Hill. <sighs> Even though Travis Kelsey put a little little shimmy on him last year and put him on the ground, yeah, so that was rough. Um, that was also in that in that playoff game. So uh, yeah, I'll take the uh, I'll take the Chiefs here with the five and a half. Yep. Um, as we're going to do every week, we're going to spend a little bit more time on the biggest games of the week, and then we'll go through the rest of the slate and give you at least one thing to watch. All right. So let's let's go through a little bit quicker because there's still a lot of good games left. Miami Dolphins at the New England Patriots. Storylines galore here. You've got Belichick and Flores. You've got Mac Jones and Tua, the couple Bama QBs going head-to-head here. What are you specifically looking for in this game? Uh, Mac Jones. Um, it's not just Mac Jones now that the, the action is live, preseason is gone, it's regular season. You, you don't have another option. You got rid of Cam Newton. Mac Jones is the guy. So how does he do against a real NFL defense and a pretty good one in Miami? And it's particularly interesting because it's one of the more extreme defenses in the NFL in terms of what they do. You're going to see a ton of man coverage. You're going to see it all game long. And on the one hand, that's great because you've got a pretty good idea of what you're looking at every single play. But it brings its own challenges, right? Man coverage with a bunch of talented defensive backs is not exactly the easiest thing in the world to deal with. If it was, the New England Patriots and the Miami Dolphins wouldn't have been running it for the last several years. So... that's the dynamic it's all right now mac jones has got the job he's running with the first team he's got all those weapons to play with can he actually beat man coverage for you know every play this this week they played week one last year and the patriots ran like crazy all over the dolphins i want to see how the patriots handle mac jones too i mean are they going to their strength is the offensive line are they going to try to run the ball a lot again take a little pressure off him you're mentioning the man coverage that the the dolphins are going to play that will potentially give us some answers as far as all the moves the patriots made at receiver Uh, they're getting a ton of hype for jacoby myers who is fantastic i mean he's the best route runner on their team 
He knows how to get open. Feels like a high-volume receiver that will match well with Mac Jones. But how does Nelson Aguilar fit in? How does Kendrick Bourne fit in? How do the tight ends fit in into this New England system? So there's a lot of new to see in New England. And then the the other piece that I really want to see is uh, our guy Doug mentioned yesterday. By the way, go check out uh, our discussion with Doug Hyde yesterday as we, we previewed the season and got into a lot of the stuff that he learned on his training camp tour. A lot of good nuggets in there. But the Dolphins receivers against this Patriots secondary. We didn't even discuss the Patriots secondary this entire season. We've talked about every last bit of the NFL. But the Patriots made zero moves in the secondary this offseason other than Jalen Mills. That is the one move that they made, and then they finally just traded for Sean Wade. They didn't do a thing Mm -hmm. except sign a Jalen Mills who felt like, oh, it's just a strong safety hybrid player that they added, right? Because they were just rolling back the same group. But Stephon Gilmore's hurt, and now on paper, it doesn't look great because Jalen Mills is the starting corner. How do they match up against the Dolphins? And also the entire offseason, people have been anticipating, speculating, talking about the idea that Gilmore might be gone anyway. Like, he was a trade candidate for most of the offseason. So it's not like him suddenly being unavailable is, is something they can't have considered, you know? This had been probably something that they were thinking about throughout the offseason. It's happened, albeit in maybe a different way than they were planning, and now that's your situation. Like the guy that made your defense tick from a coverage standpoint over the last few years is not on the field. What do you do? The other thing to watch, New England's front seven. We've talked a lot about if there's a weakness for Miami in all of their great team building efforts, it is the offensive line. Austin Jackson still out, right? Left tackle. Um, even if he was a damn great. It, it, even if he was in, it, it's questionable. But here's what the Patriots are rolling out there. Dietrich Wise, Matthew Judon, Kyle Van Noy, who they use as more of an edge when he's in their system. Josh Uche, who might be the best pass rusher out of all of those guys. Bring in Christian Barmore as a second rounder. I mean, they've got some legit players up front. They looked great in the in the preseason. I'm still wondering if uh, if this is the advantage for the the big advantage for the Patriots is their front seven against the Miami offensive line. And, and the reason why I'm going to lean Patriots, they're minus three. Uh, favored by three against the Dolphins here per DraftKings. Yeah, and then the other obvious thing is how does Tua do against this defense? Like this is obviously a make or break year for Tua, um, and it's not a great – I mean, even if they're missing Gilmore, the Patriots' defense is never a nice defense for a young quarterback to be trying to get better against. Right. So how does that happen? Um, yeah, I I think I'm I'm leaning New England as well. All right, so we're both taking New England. We're taking uh, – man, I'm, I'm just leaning favorites here keeping it nice and simple <laughs> favorites and home teams for the most part except uh, yeah i got seattle on the road but um a lot of week a lot of great week one games and i'm, I'm this is one i'm excited for because we'll see more miami new england later in mm. the year it's a good one to kick the season off again uh before we get into the packers and the saints got to remind you about our friends over at fan tracks fan tracks is where we're playing a lot of our fantasy football this year at pff their free fantasy football league manager is the most customizable, easy to use, and feature-rich platform in the entire industry. That's right. We're moving our leagues over there because you can come in from another site. It's not a problem. Fantrax can import any of your current leagues completely free. They got multi-team trades. You're a big three, three-way three trade type of guy. And uh, bonus points for touchdowns of different yardage. You can create a free account now using promo code PFF at Fantrax.com PFF. Get a chance to win to it, a trip to any regular season game this year for you and your entire league, plus six thousand dollars it's promo code pff at fantrax.com slash pff packers saints 
It's the uh, the Packers are favored on the road by three and a half. It's on the road, but it's being played in Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, me and the domes, man, that's going to take a little off the passing game here. Not oh, being yeah. indoors, not being indoors in the dome. Uh, James is used to it. Supposedly, the Saints were, were lobbying for Florida because Rodgers hasn't played as well in Florida. They, yeah, not just, well, they, um, they apparently were, they said they ran all the scenarios. You know, they were, no stone was left uncovered in terms of trying to maximize, like, what's the best advantage? Where could it be? So not only were they looking at Florida, but they had somebody on staff work out what was the most inconvenient place for Green Bay Packers fans to get to. So they could have gone to Miami. They could have gone, like, any of the three Florida venues were available this week. They could have gone to any of them, and they've, like, specifically chosen Jacksonville because it's more expensive for Packers fans to travel to. And, you know, they didn't want it to be like a, a road game. No stone left unturned. I like it. And uh, that's how I think Ian Rappaport reported the, the Saints left no stone left unturned in their quest for another cornerback. They did trade for Bradley Roby this week from the Houston Texans. The Texans continue to unload the veterans mm. for some uh, – did they even – declare what the draft pick was uh stocking up on draft picks in houston uh roby will not be able to play this week so we won't discuss it but suspended that by the way is probably a smart thing like most people are not too keen on trading for somebody who's going to start like right before week one because how do you get him up to speed in like three days yeah he would need time anyway yeah they don't need to because he's going to be suspended that first week anyway he doesn't have to play week one but that this is going to be one of those matchups to watch here is the New Orleans secondary. So before Roby gets into the flow of things, uh, Paulson Adebo, their third-round pick, Desmond Trufant, who they brought in after he got released, uh, trying to figure out who that guy is opposite Marshawn Lattimore. When you're facing the Packers, they move Devontae Adams around, obviously. The, the Saints don't always play pure matchups as far as wide receivers and corners go. But when you see Marshawn Lattimore versus De- Devontae Adams, it's one of the better matchups of the entire week. Yeah, in theory. you. I mean – you, you're sort of stuck on this idea. Marshall Lando was another player whose career is upside down. Like, he was amazing as a rookie and has steadily gotten worse in every conceivable way since then. His PFF grade, coverage grade, touchdowns allowed, uh, passer rating allowed, all of those numbers go in the wrong direction. He's still very talented. Each year. And unless he's playing Mike Evans, there's actually... Very good against Mike Evans. <laughs> unless he's playing Mike Evans, there's actually a pretty good chance that he's just getting lit up in any given week. Yeah, I got to look up Lattimore's stats against the rest of the league. But because because we saw him so amazing as a rookie against Julio Jones, it's like, yeah, Marshawn Lattimore is one of the best corners in the NFL. Well, he doesn't have Julio anymore. He doesn't have to deal with Julio anymore. No, you're right. Only Devontae Adams coming to town. Or not even coming to town. Coming to Jacksonville. That should be easy. The real thing I'm looking for here, though, I I, I keep hyping up the Saints front seven and what Marcus Davenport can do. We, We talked about breakout players today on the Daily and whatever you want to say about Davenport he could be in for a star driven type of season Cameron Jordan's still there um, they've got some big dudes and guys who can get after the quarterback and the Packers offensive line remains a question mark with David Bakhtiari out and Elkin Jenkins moving to tackle and Billy Turner moving to tackle I mean, they have two guys who are probably better at guard playing tackle that is a story for the Packers their offensive line was not great in the NFC championship when they had um, to move guys around as well yeah um, I, I'm not worried about Green Bay's offense, even if the offensive line is a little bit sketchier on paper than it used to be. I think You're worried about stopping Jameis. I'm not worried about stopping him. I'm intrigued. That's the thing I want to watch in this game is what does this Jameis offense look like? Um, Jameis Winston has 
always been in some sort of vertical, aggressive, downfield passing attack. And whether it's, and it's, there's now a question about how much of his profile as a passer, the volatility, the, you know, either incredible or terrible, nothing in between, how much of that is because he's in a system and has always been in a system that kind of promotes that. Now, Bruce Arians is maybe the most extreme version of that. And that's why suddenly, that's why his last season starting was the most extreme version of Jameis. But this is the first offense where it's not the same. Now, it's not to say that Sean Payton runs a system that's nothing but dink and dunk and horizontal and underneath stuff. He is more aggressive than that and has downfield uh, shots in there. But they rely a lot more on yards after the catch and plays that get receivers into space and are higher efficiency. So how much does that modify Jameis? Or is that just who Jameis is? And the fact that he's been wedded to these um, vertical passing attacks is just coincidence. Like, how much can Sean McVay de Jameis Jameis? It, it is. Oh, man, I can't wait. I, I'm just I'm fired up to see it, man. Because it is true. Jameis has played under Jimbo Fisher, likes to push the ball down the field. Dirk Cutter, it's a vertical passing attack. And, mm-hmm. of course, Bruce Arians, as vertical right. as it gets, right? Sean Payton is not that. He, he, will, he wants to make you defend every inch of the field. And we keep referencing the Brandon Staley scheme. And, you know, you play a lot of quarters. You play a lot of soft zone and keep things in front of you. If this is how the Packers are going to play, this is an immediate test for Jameis, right? I mean, technically, this is a defense that's going to try to take away the downfield stuff. Yeah. The Rams did such a good job of that last year. But it, it, it leaves holes underneath, and, it, and you need to have patience. As a quarterback, you need to take what is there. I think it's a great test for Jameis right off the bat here. And it's not even – I'm not even talking about, like, getting – stripping out the deep shots from Jameis's game. It's where, – where I think he's gotten into trouble in the past is that he targets – the, in, the deeper side of the intermediate level in the middle of the field, basically more than anybody else in the NFL. He has the most extreme profile of a quarterback who's the highest percentage of passing yards is through the air, not after the catch, right? It's like, I think it's the highest percentage in the NFL. He tries to do everything with the ball. It's always past the sticks. It's always a pass that's going to hit a receiver and then end the play right there. How much can he be persuaded to target other areas of the field where there's more space and his receivers can do work after the catch because that's what Sean Payton does. But but again, like, is this Jameis or is this just the offenses he's been, quote-unquote, trapped in for his entire career? That's your biggest thing to watch, right? Jameis, yep. stylistically, I mean, absolutely. Want to see the, I want to see the Saints D-line. I, I want to see how good Aaron Rodgers is again. I mean, the, just to repeat from a Rodgers standpoint, he is awesome. He is fantastic. But four or five times in his career, he's been otherworldly. Last year was one of those times. Is he otherworldly again? We saw it in week one. Like immediately last year, it was like Rodgers looks different. And he kept it going. I want to know if that's the Aaron Rodgers we're getting this year. It's uh, Saints plus three and a half at home. So, this, so Packers by three and a half. Am I going with the favorite again? I got to go with the favorite again. Hmm. I think. Saints defense had had those games last year where they could be really, really good, but they don't have a. They lost. They lost Jack Rabbit. Jack Rabbit. Jack Rabbit Jenkins was the guy that 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 helped them hit, hit that high end of volatility. You know what? I'll take the Saints. I'll take. I need an underdog somewhere. 
taking the Saints to cover the three and a half. I think Green Bay wins, though. Good game. So it's going to be a good game. Yeah. I might have liked the Saints if they were actually at home at home as opposed to, you know, nomadically playing in Jacksonville. But with that, I will leave. You're Green right. Bay. I never take the Saints when they play outdoors. Never. Yeah. Well, they don't have – it's not Drew Brees and his noodle arm anymore. It's Jameis. He's not affected by – It's true. By some wind. Jameis has played a lot of football in Florida. Not that that matters. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's go um, – not rapid fire, but we'll go a little bit quicker through the rest of the league here because there are – I mean, those games that we just went over, absolutely incredible. But Chicago Bears at the Los Angeles Rams. It's Sunday night football. Uh, the Rams are favored by 7.5. The Rams have been I – mean, talk about a hype game. The Rams are as hyped as any team yeah. this year with Matthew Stafford coming in. People want to put the Rams right up there with the Packers and the Bucks and the NFC. And the Bears uh, would have zero hype if they had not – drafted Justin Fields yeah they were the most unexciting team until draft night <laughs> when they traded up for Justin Fields. and all we're going to hear about in this game is when Justin Fields is going to get on yes sir because Andy Dalton is probably going to get murdered by that Los Angeles Rams defense by Aaron Donald and it's just going to be when is Fields going to play how quickly are we going to see him um to me the thing to watch is just how bad is this Chicago offensive line going to be because I as much as I've been saying that the thing that is going to put Justin Fields out there the fact that his name is fields and you have to talk about him being on the field is annoying i need a better way of phrasing that sentence call him justin justin no he can't get justin on the fields oh god stop anyway what how quickly he's going to get out there i think or i've been saying is going to be determined by how well andy dalton plays right if he plays terribly for the first couple of weeks it's going to be very hard to put justin fields out there that being said if that offensive line is an absolute train wreck and they're sort of witnessing this in week one, I, I do think that Matt Nagy is going to be looking at this and saying, we can't, like, we can't expose Justin Fields to that. Like, it's not fair to the rookie to put him out in front of this off or behind this offensive line. Certainly not fair to put him out in front of the offensive line. <laughs> that would be bad. Um, but Maybe like, just as bad. You know what I mean? Like, that's one thing that NFL coaches, I think, are still fearful of is what if we, Derek, or what if we David Carr this guy? and put him out behind an offensive line that's just not capable of protecting him. Do you think the Bears will have a Justin Fields package? I mean, no. we, Kyle Shanahan does for Trey Lance. We expect it. Just having Fields, you know, on a couple keepers or getting a, getting a series here and there, do you think they have any sort of plan for that? Nope. Nothing at all? Don't think so. So you just take Nagy at his word because he has pretty much said it's Andy Dalton. It's his team. From day one. Team. Has been steadfast enough. I, I agree. I agree. But it's just it's just interesting that we haven't we expect Trey Lance yeah. to have that situation. We don't expect any of it from Fields. What is interesting though is how the dynamic is going to work. Because obviously at some point Justin Fields is going to become the starter. But what is going to prompt catalyze that transition? And I've been saying all along that it's going to be basically how badly Andy Dalton plays, and at some point that's going to force them into the move. But if that offensive line is a mess, I do think that Matt Nagy does not want to put Justin Fields out behind that. Like they, the only thing that saves those guys is if Justin Fields looks like the future. And if he doesn't look like the future, everybody's getting fired. And one way he could not look like the future is if the offensive line is garbage and Fields is just getting destroyed. Um, one of the underrated parts that I do want to see, the field, Fields is the big story. Stafford, massive story. Can't wait to see him in McVay's system again. Repeating myself quite often in that respect. But the Bears offense, I think I mentioned this the other day. Allen Robinson, star. But Marquise Goodwin, Darnell Mooney, Demir Bird, 
brought in Brashad Perryman too. I mean, they brought in all four, three speed type of guys. Um, how fascinating would that group be with Fields? I was going to say, yeah, with a quarterback that doesn't really have the arm to get him there anymore. With the way I describe Fields as making you defend every inch of the field because of his speed, because of the rollout ability, his ability to play inside and outside of structure, and that's what speed guys do. So it could be a dangerous Bears offense when and if Fields gets in there. But also, but even with Dalton, I mean, Dalton's going to be an upgrade over Trubisky, and I want to see how the Bears deploy the speed. One of the comps everybody has made with Justin Fields is Russell Wilson and again like if things like when things start to break down and he wants to go deep just fire a bunch of 4-3 guys out there that can run deep it is it is a fascinating matchup this game also is bizarre if you look at the green line page despite the line being seven and a half 85 percent of the money is coming in on the Rams there is it the the, the Dalton aspect is fascinating because i feel like if, zero confidence in dalton but none. If, if trubisky was the starter i feel like the public would have more confidence in the bears i mean certainly and, if anybody would <laughs> anybody andy, other than dalton andy dalton's a better quarterback than mitchell trubisky yes both last year and historically uh dalton can lay an egg in any given game right? he's right. had some bad games but as far as throw for throw consistency andy dalton's a better quarterback than mitchell trubisky and, and that's the intriguing thing to me. I don't think – I think the Bears roster has gotten a little bit worse. I think the secondary is a question mark. The offensive line, as you mentioned. But I do also believe Dalton has a better chance of running that offense than Trubisky did. Sure. Um, I will also kind of buy into the Rams hype, though, if, I mean, at home with the 7.5. If you told me that Chicago's offensive line was going to be reasonable this year, I would say that Dalton – and Dalton will actually have, would actually have this offense going okay. It would look fine. Like – I still think fundamentally the system is a good one and they just haven't had a viable quarterback for the last couple of years. Dalton is viable if unexciting. Um, but the concern for me is, is that offensive line even going to be viable or are they just going to get completely annihilated by a good defensive front? Like when you look at the, yeah. the players that they're left with now with injuries and all those kinds of things, Jason Peters, who knows how he'll hold up right away. Um, 67 grade last year playing a little guard little tackle right Cody Whitehair playing guard now Sam Mustafer at center it's just there there is the potential for this line to get beaten up badly I, I will say Peters and Effetti at the tackle positions could be the weakness and that's not where you know the Rams have Leonard Floyd they're not the best rushing off the edge they might not be that bad Aaron Donald beats up everybody though we know that yeah. um the one other thing with this with the Chicago speed I'm talking about new look secondary for the Rams no John Johnson no Troy Hill. Um, where do they deploy Jalen Ramsey? Some things to keep an eye on Sunday night, how they look on the back end. I want to see this Rams defense, how they look with Raheem Morris at the helm. I will take the Rams with the seven and a half, though. Man, I'm buying into the hype. <sighs> seven and a half. That's a lot of points. Such a big number for this. No, I... give me Chicago. Give me Chicago. I'm not going to overrate this thing. Uh, Chicago's going to cover. Rams win, Chicago covers. Uh, I'm still going with the Rams to cover. Okay, fine. Uh, Jaguars and Texans. Not the biggest marquee game, but it's it's Trevor Lawrence's debut, man. <laughs> it's Trevor Lawrence's debut. It is. The first game I ever graded, by the way, back in 2012 was Andrew Luck's debut against the uh, huh. against the Bears. Got the felt, you know, felt special, right? First game of Luck's career and it's fun. Okay. I'm not grading this game. No. But uh what are you looking for in this uh Jaguars Texans game? I am curious. I I mean, obviously, Trevor Lawrence is the thing to watch for everybody. That's me, yeah. Right, it's a given. But I'm actually curious, like, where is this Houston team right now? Because 
it is such a circus. It is such a punchline at this point. There have been people making the point that, hey, look, it isn't that bad when you look at the roster. Like, there are some capable starters in a lot of different places. There's nobody necessarily that's going to excite you anymore, but there's a lot of not bad across the board. Like, that offensive line, Laramie Tunsil, um, there are players in there that, that won't be terrible. Brandon Cooks is still there. Anthony Miller's been brought on board. Nico Collins, I actually liked as a prospect, even if the process to get him was pretty atrocious. Um, you're, you're, you're on my bit. You've you spent this entire offseason trashing the Texans. I think they'll be bad. I, I trashing do. Trashing the Texans. Yeah. Wait I, a second. You've been trashing the Texans. Yes. And I keep looking up and down our depth chart and, yeah, this guy's okay and this guy's okay. And it could add up to just, you know, not as trash as we think. Yeah. And I've been making that point. You're just like, no, keep trashing them. Now you're buying into it in week one here. No, I, I'm not. I'm just i'm presenting your own argument to you thank you i don't think it'll happen i think okay. the texans will be garbage it's intriguing but there is a scenario that you've been harping on at before that the collection of talent they have is actually capable of being okay so i want to know where in that spectrum it's going to be like do we come out of this week one and you're like the texans have already secured the number one overall pick let's wrap it up for them like maybe they can mail in the season like they wanted to mail in training camp Let's just go back to the facility, start scouting next year. We'll forfeit every game, 30 nil or whatever it is. Uh, we're on to the draft. We're on to Vegas. Is that where the draft is next year? Um, or do you come out of that and go, well, look, it's not going to be a good season, but the Texans might actually be competitive every week. Yeah, it's the Jags by three per DraftKings. It's in Houston. You mentioned, I mean, the thing I want to see is Trevor Lawrence. How does he look as a rookie? How does this offense look? You've been... You've been harping on, yeah, they're not, they don't look that creative here in the, in the preseason. Are they going to open it up just a little bit? I like the Jags in this one. I think it's, uh, it's good for Urban Meyer maybe to start against the Texans, maybe get a little, little win under his belt. So we're not, he's not pulling his hair out sitting there at 0 1. Oh, man. If Urban loses game one to the Texans, he's going to be so mad. Oh, it's another big Urban's debut in the NFL. And somebody's going to stick a mic in his face after he's walking off the field in defeat. Be like, hey, Urban. How's the NFL? Is this the most excited I've ever been for a There's so many new things to see this year. That's the excitement of week one. And then we'll be here Monday morning overreacting to all of it. I'll take the Jags by three. I think Trevor. I think Trevor looks good in the debut against the Texans. Yeah. I, I kind of want to lean Houston, but I can't. That's ridiculous. Yes, Jacksonville and to cover. It's only three, though. I know. That means they, that Vegas thinks, or, you know, they, they Vegas think is buying six. into your crap. They're buying into whatever it is you're peddling about the Texans. They think it's a six-point difference in, in teams. I mean, the Jags did have one win last year. But Trevor Lawrence makes a big difference, right? Should make a big difference. Yeah, and they were better than their one win. I mean, they lost a lot of close games last year. All right, Minnesota Vikings coming here to, to Cincinnati. Vikings at the Bengals. Vikings are favored by three on the road here. And uh, the, I'm taking a look at this Minnesota pass rush, which was the second-worst pass rushing grade in the league last year. I mean, their defensive line generally, it's uh, it's been overhauled. They're Completely everything. overhauled. How do they look? And against the Bengals' offensive line. I yeah. Mean, eyes is... on the trenches in this one for sure. Right. They're getting everybody back. They're, yeah, that's going to be an interesting thing to look at. Um, it might be time to panic about Jamar Chase now. It oh, wasn't, here we go. It wasn't before, you know, four drops and five targets. Okay, that's not good. It's bad. But it happens, right? Good receivers drop the ball sometimes. We move on. Just... Okay. Having said that. His report today from Pro Football Talk. Wait, the wait, tweet. wait. I'm, I'm, let me get people into the see this. Watch PFF Sam. The tweet. Panic. The initial tweet from them was Jamar Chase, colon, 
NFL ball is harder to catch than the NCAA ball. Harder to see without white stripes. Now you're like, okay, that's pretty bad. Kind of concerning. Like, but, you know, maybe it's been, maybe that's the tweet copy. Maybe the tweet copy makes this look worse than it is. Let's click in. Let's read what he actually said. It might not be that bad. Uh, no, it's worse. The, the actual full quote of what he said is even worse than the headline. Um, what he said was, the ball's different because it's bigger. Chase said via Bengals. Via Bengals.com, by the way. Their own team is putting this out. It doesn't have the white stripes on the sides. You can't see the ball coming from the tip point. You actually have to look for the strings of the ball at the top, which is hard to see because the whole ball is brown and you have six strings that are white. But for the most part, you just have to get used to it and find out what I'm comfortable with catching. Why are you trying to identify the laces on a football that's coming to you? Now, look. What would you be looking at? The stripes thing... The stripes thing is not College an unreasonable. Ball has stripes. He's used to the flying white. It's not an unreasonable comment that it is much easier to pick out a college ball when it's in the air because of the way the stripes spin than it is with the NFL ball that doesn't have the stripes, right? It is, a, and it's bigger. It's fatter in the middle, the, uh, sure. the NFL ball. But the idea that when you take away the stripes, you're trying to zero in on the spinning lace as opposed to just catching the brown thing flying at you, what are you doing? That's concerning. That's a problem. Yeah, I don't know. Even if it's like... I mean, hitters try to pick up the seams on a baseball. You're trying to pick up the red seam, not the white. It tells you how it's spinning. Right, but you don't care how it's spinning. It's a football. It's always spinning the same way. It's coming towards you with that spin on it. Unless it's not a spiral. In which case, it's slightly different to that spin, but it's still spinning the same way. Catch the brown football. Yes. Is the... Uh... Catch the brown yeah. football flying at your face and don't try and pick out the laces as it's spinning. The only that thing, doesn't change the way you're trying to catch it. So now we need Panay Sewell to come out with a quote like, man, I didn't realize <laughs> that your footwork was completely different at right tackle. I had no idea. Yeah. And that would explain I'm just as well. All of a sudden, I'm panicking. I wasn't before, but now that he's like in his own head so much, he's trying to identify the laces as the ball's spinning in his direction. <laughs> we spent a lot of time here saying ah oh, get the drops out of your system yeah. and they're not consistent but your one quote and he admitted well, he doesn't know how to catch the nfl ball and you're out yes because when initially fair. no that's fair <laughs> when it was just like four drops you you didn't think that while the ball was coming at him he was trying to like find the laces in the light you just thought oh it's a concentration thing somebody asked is he colorblind and i but i don't think that would affect colorblind is more of like a red green thing yeah, right? and it's also not... He's trying to... There are two colors there. One is You shouldn't dark be looking for the white. laces. Yes. Like, the quarterback barely looks at the laces when he's getting rid of the ball these days. It's not something you should be trying to identify as the thing is flying towards you. Just catch the ball. Is he worse in night games? You can't... I mean, just... I mean, if he's trying to... Yeah, if he's trying to find the laces, probably. It's really hard to see brown with blue behind it if you're colorblind. So... That would have been even worse if Jamar Chase was drafted by the Lions. Yeah. With blue jerseys running around. I mean, look, all we have to go on is the quote that he gave, which is he's trying, like, just the mention of the laces is ridiculous. You should not be trying to find the laces blue and brown as you're catching a football. Maybe. Um, either way, this seems like it's a, it's a little bit more concerning than I think we thought it was a few weeks ago. Yeah. I do. I mean, I assume he spent all offseason, not just offseason, all last football season, too, practicing with an NFL football. I assume. I have no information on that subject one way or the other. Anyway, good to see that you're out on Jamar Chase based off a quote. Yeah. Um, and then we, what does Joe Burrow look like? Yes. The other thing. 
clear. Comfort, uh, all eyes on the Bengals' offensive line. Minnesota's going to be looking at their pass rush. Um, again, a, another intriguing game because there's a lot of storylines here. The other part about Minnesota, what does their offense look like? They don't have Irv Smith. They love to run two tight end personnel and um, only two receivers. How do they spread things out? <laughs> Will Mike bit? Zimmer reluctantly allow them to use a slot receiver will they will they a wide receiver yeah, have a slot receiver the great dalvin cook always get to see dalvin cook new look cincinnati defense too they had a lot of overhaul in their secondary um i'll take so bengals at home getting three sam yeah what do you like uh minnesota i'm out i'm out on cincinnati it's until jamar chase convinces I'll me he can minnesota. catch a football again i'm out what would take that what if he has one drop on 10 op- what does the drop look like does it, it look like the? It looks like he doesn't the see screen. the stripes. Does it, it look like the bubble hands. screen one where he was like, and it just hit him in the face? If it yeah. looks like that, I'm still out. Even if he catches nine others. Yeah. <laughs> I get no look if if Jamar Chase he caught passes at training camp. He didn't drop everyone. He had a he drops. There was a lot like there were a lot of training camp videos of Jamar Chase that featured drops, and it was sort of it was dismissed because it's training camp. You don't you don't catch them all in training camp. And then you get into the games, and he drops four out of five. And then he says he can't, you know, identify the ball because he's looking for the laces. And now you're like, have you played this game before? Are you the same human that dominated the college landscape with LSU and Joe Burrow? Like, did we – is this a – did we did, – was there a switch somewhere along the line? What the hell is happening? He's just rusty from the opt-out. I uh, love you're out on the Bengals because of Jamar Chase. Is this right up there with uh... – Am I going to hear of this for the rest of eternity now, like the Jared Goff sunsetting thing? No, no. Look, you can fix this, I'm sure. If someone like gets in his ear and is like, hey, Jamar, the next time it's coming in your direction, try not looking for the laces. Just just catch the brown can thing. Can the Bengals draw? Can you draw on the ball? Can I you draw like so. Just throw eh, like a white? You can label it, right? They always have like a little weird labeling, like a couple of letters and yeah, stuff because the Bengals will provide their yeah. footballs and the Vikings will provide their footballs I don't maybe know what the rules are about write what, Bengals yeah, and white about what you're allowed to write on it maybe you can draw your own stripes on it yeah draw your own stripes white stripes a silver sharpie you solve the whole problem silver sharpie there we go all right Denver Broncos at the New York Giants one thing to look at here in this game it's uh Broncos favored by three again on the road travel into New York um I am curious about so we expect Jerry Judy to have this big second season, right? He's looking great. He's probably not going to drop the number of passes he dropped last year, if in part because I don't believe he's looking for the laces when he drops them. Um, oh we expect Cortland Sutton to have, you know, bounce back season after he missed from injury. The, the big question is sort of how much can Teddy Bridgewater match their level or elevate their level? To me, I'm really curious about with, the, with those two things expected, does KJ Hamler have a big enough role within this offense that he probably deserves, right? And he showed in Minnesota in the preseason that that dude has, he's not Tyreek Hill, but he has a Tyreek Hill threat to him in terms of if you switch off for a split second, he is running past you five yards into the, like five yards of separation and it's an 80 yard touchdown the second you're not paying attention. And if you have one of those guys, you should be using that quite a lot even if it's not target wise but just that threat should be a very real and live part of your formation on any given play and then he should get you know a couple of targets a game that that takes advantage of that and does does teddy get him the ball yeah teddy bridgewater the starting quarterback uh 
the big debate between him and Drew Locke. Do you think it, like if Teddy doesn't play well, is his job on the line here? Do you think this is a, a back and forth situation? I can't imagine that either one of these quarterbacks has a ton of rope to play with in terms of how long they're going to get given here's, as here's, a starter. Here's my thought, right? I'm looking at the, the stats from last year. Drew Locke had uh, 27% of his passes were deemed uncatchable by us. Teddy Bridgewater was about 19%. It was about 7 or 8% difference in those guys. To me, that's, that's the difference in the competition, is just giving all of these guys opportunities to make plays. I think Teddy will be able to distribute and do a better job. Got to come down on the turnover-worthy plays, as you've said over and over again, but um, just want to see Teddy in this, in this offense as a distributor, as a decision-maker, uh, taking care of the ball and giving these great receivers opportunities to make plays. I will say that the matchup to watch, though, after the offseason talking about the Broncos receivers, the Giants secondary with Adoree Jackson, James Bradbury, Logan Ryan, Jabril Peppers. It's a good group. Mm -hmm. It's a good group back there. It is, I think, the matchup to watch in this entire game. Yeah, it, it was feisty all last year. Now it's just good. Oh, yeah, they were feisty. Now they feisty plus. <laughs> and, of course, we've discussed nonstop the Giants offensive line yeah. and what do they look like against uh, – a Denver defensive front that's coming together. And also, by the way, what does that Denver defensive front look like? You're getting Chubb and Von Miller back. Are they the same guys? Von Miller in particular. Is he vintage Von Miller? Is he going to be one of the best pass rushers in the NFL still? Or, you know, remember that last season before he got injured, it wasn't the same. It was still a lot of pressure, but his grade tumbled by more than 10 points. He didn't look like the same level of Von Miller. Was that just a hiccup was was that a random aberration or is he is he the real guy again uh bradley chubb is questionable this week as of wednesday questionable with an ankle noah fant also questionable for the broncos but if it is if it is chubb and von miller out there against andrew thomas and nate solder who again moved to right tackle should be a big advantage for the broncos but yes want to see what von looks like to your point um, i like denver in this one i'm yeah. Buying into the Denver hype, I think I think Teddy Bridgewater will play that man game manager role, man. Yeah, this is a game that Denver should be winning. And Denver by three per DraftKings on the road. Uh, Arizona Cardinals at the Tennessee Titans. DraftKings has the Titans by three uh, at home, meaning we're looking at the Cardinals and the Titans as very similar teams here. And if that is the case, that's an interesting dynamic here, right? Because we keep talking about the NFC West as the deepest division, and the Titans are one of the favorites in the AFC, right? I mean, they're one of the top six teams in the AFC. Is that fair? Yeah. And the fact that Arizona are, are viewed as an equal team, I, I think it's a fair assessment, but also I think an assessment of the depth of what the NFC West is bringing to the table. What are you looking for in this Cardinals-Titans matchup? I want to see evidence that Kingsbury's offense is changing and evolving and getting better. Um, you just want to see Nuke line up on the right. I really do. Like, if you go to PFFs, new and improved wide receiver cornerback matchup chart you go to the, the fantasy tools at the top of the page um and you look at that we have sort of projected the matchups for each of these receivers to help you best choose your fantasy lineup and one of our matchups that we talked about on the the nfl daily is nuke is expected to go 100 percent of the time against jack rabbit jenkins because essentially nuke lines up at left wide receiver and doesn't move I pray for Arizona's sake that we're wrong, that they come out and instead of 90 plus percent of his snaps being in exactly the same position, Nuke is going to move around. And that is going to cause Tennessee's defense 
some problems because immediately you now have to change what you're doing. You either say, well, okay, all of a sudden their best wide receiver and one of the best wide receivers in the NFL is going up against our second or third cornerback, or we have to be prepared to suddenly start moving Jackrabbit Jenkins throughout the defense and all of the knock-on effects that that has. I just hope they're willing to do that because if they're not, I do think that that places a fairly firm cap on how good this offense can be. Yeah, I want to see how Kingsbury's offense looks. I want to see what the Titans offense looks like. A.J. Brown was technically questionable, but I believe it was a rest day really for his knee. A.J. Brown, Julio Jones, Derrick Henry, uh, what they're going to do against a Cardinals secondary that Malcolm Butler just retired, and boy, do they have some some questions back there. A Cardinals team that played as a number one of the, the highest percentages of man coverage last year. Are they going to have to change their scheme with what they have at corner and how right. are they going to handle the Titans? I want to see how defenses handle the Titans in general. A.J. Brown and Julio Jones are going to be nightmares for fantasy people this year because like, they're going to go back and forth no, for no sure. a they're going to go back and forth but b neither of them practices <laughs> they're always on the injury report oh question. i see yeah so, i see what you're saying like even even when he's healthy julio jones barely practices aj brown was on the injury report and missing time or limited participation for like half of last season had multiple knee surgeries in the off season now they were both supposedly just you know clean up procedures um, but the two of them, like, constantly appearing on the injury report and missing practice time is going to make people tear their hair out when they're trying to work out who's supposed to be in their lineup every week. I think one of the big stories is how our defense is going to play the Titans with those guys, right? Will teams like to stack the box against the Titans? And that is, I got, I got Tej, you know, on the R&D team over here, has done great work actually studying box count and not how it affects the run game, but how it affects the pass game. And and it makes sense intuitive, intuitively, right? When we come out here and we say, well, Ryan Tannehill graded well and Baker Mayfield graded well and Kirk Cousins graded well, but we know that they've got this play-action-driven system and they run the ball a ton. He essentially, we, we kind of knew it intuitively that they're in a system that opens up the pass game, right? And he went back and kind of studied it more mathematically and said, yeah, when you condense the box, you open up passing lanes. And Tannehill's one of those guys that has uh, benefited from that. Now will teams say, you know what? If we screw up against A.J. Brown or Julio Jones, that's 50 yards. If we screw up against Derrick Henry, that's eight. We'll, we'll take our chances against Derrick Henry. We'll play too high. We'll play fewer guys in the box. I mean, maybe Derrick Henry is the big beneficiary here of the receivers just, just because he's going to see lighter boxes. I want to see how defenses approach the Titans. I mean, like, is it though? <laughs> is it only eight if you screw up against Derrick Henry? Part of the problem with him is that, like, if you get him to the second or third level, he's now stiff-arming a DB to hell and it, turning it into True, 50. it also could be 50. All right, pick your poison against the dudes here right. at the Titans. Um, again, the one other thing I need to see is the Titans secondary, because I told you, um, Jack Rabbit's back there. We'll see how much we see from, from Caleb Farley, who's got that dude-on-defense type of mentality. My guy, Elijah Molden. The Titans need to be better defensively this year. Um, if their defense is better, they're a legit contender in the AFC. So, want to see what that Titans defense looks like. Uh, give me uh, Tennessee by three, man. The other part about Cliff's offense, it's not just moving Hopkins around, though. It's also Kyler. They did run him more last year. That was an adjustment that they've made. They've showed they can make some yeah. adjustments. It's not a cure-all. I'm just saying that this is a thing they don't do that they should. This is like Pittsburgh and play action. It's like Green Bay with motion my, before last year. My bigger thing is the intermediate part of the field. If Kyler can't win 
in that intermediate field level. And if it, the air raid, even chips offense. Why you got a height chain? It's not height, height chain, man. You, you sitting over there with your six foot ten, you know, I can see over the offensive line. Oh, What's I your could problem? see. I could definitely see over the offensive line. So yeah. could Ryan Mallett. Couldn't hit throws. <laughs> We could see over the offensive line. Though. Not only could he see over it, but the Chips, ball would be coming from like nine foot up as well. Like, Chip's offense had this too, though. It was downfield and it was like screen game and short stuff. And there was there was a hole in the in the part of the, the part of the field where the best quarterbacks attack. Hmm. Is Kyler going to be better there? Is he limited by Cliff's scheme, or is Kyler just you know limited by being maybe sometimes <laughs> limited by his height and he can't see? He's oh, the got other some thing. ugly interceptions over the middle of the field is what I'm saying. The other thing to, to just look out for at some point in this game, there's going to be obviously a Kyler Murray to Rondale Moore connection, right? That has to be the shortest connection in NFL history between two players, right? Look at you pulling out the analytics. It's got to be, right? Somebody, There's got to be a database somewhere that, gives, that can prove that one way or the other. People tune in for the uh, advanced analytics, the shortest completion. What would be the tallest completion? Brock Osweiler to some gargantuan tight end. He must Osweiler. have hit a tight end. Oh, at some it must point. have been when Osweiler to uh, Fedor, Fedorowitz, <laughs> CJ Fedorowitz in Houston. Or as somebody Mallet, looked that up. I assume they connected at some point. How tall was Mallet? He's got to be in the reckoning. Yeah, but he didn't complete any passes ever. <laughs> right, none. Um, Osweiler six eight to Fedorowitz six seven. Darren Fells is he six eight? Is that who am I thinking? I don't know. Uh, Let's go back to Dan McGuire's completions. Uh, Tennessee. I'll take Tennessee. I'll take Tennessee by three. Yeah, same. After hyping up Arizona all mm-hmm. season. Here I go. San Francisco 49ers at the Detroit Lions. Uh, San Francisco by seven and a half in the dome at Detroit. Is that enough? I mean, should be, right? I want to see Jared Goff. I want to see Jared Goff in this offense. You want to see Jared Goff. That's yes. the thing you're interested in. I can't game. wait to see Jared Goff in a new offense. Out, you know, out, uh, out of the trust tree with McVeigh, he's out on his own. He's like a he's like a teenager going off to going off to college by himself. Yeah, into the real world. That Which generally was, isn't something that people want to see. I want to see golf. I want to see golf. I think he's, he's too good for the Lions to have the number one overall pick. Too good. <laughs> if he is, it's only because Houston exists. Golf in a bad situation here, in a, just a bad playmaker situation. I want to see Penay Sewell if he looks any better any better golf looked pretty good in his early preseason stuff i want to see how golf looks in a new world yeah i don't want to see that at all what do you want to see i want to see what this two quarterback system in san francisco looks like how much of how much is the trey lance package going to be uh put out there is it just a couple of run plays here and there is this this just a Taysom hill thing or are they going to do some kind of rotation whether it's red zone whether it's by drive whether it's whatever how much does trey lance play early in this season before an inevitable switch gets made yeah and then the entire i mean the entire niners offense you know with with health with all the the moving pieces that they have here what are the new wrinkles um again we always talked about shanahan as a outside zone scheme type of guy they're running a lot more gap schemes the gap scheme stuff is conducive to the trey lance package They've got the best two, probably the best pair of run blocking tackles in the league in uh, Trent Williams and Mike McGlinchey. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Nick Bosa coming back and defensive line health for the Niners could look a lot different than it did last year for the Niners, basically. It should. It should, it should it look like their Super Bowl team. Yeah. Are we sleeping on the Niners too much? A lot of people are hyping them up as I, 2019 Niners. I think you have to write off last year for the 49ers. They were not, they had 
the worst injury luck in the NFL in terms of like important players going down. Lost a lot of whale. Lost a lot of whale. Didn't have their quarterback for most of it. We were talking about Shanahan being the tin cup maestro, getting this whole thing done with gardening tools instead of golf clubs. Well, that's true. And you go back the year where that wasn't the case, they were in the Super Bowl. So this team should be a playoff think, team. Uh, it should be a contender. You think Shanahan's got some uh, shiny Callaways now? Is that what you think? Keep Is the, that uh, are they the uh, keep the analogy going? That's the the pinnacle now. I don't know. What's the what are the best golf clubs these days? I don't know. That's what Callaway? I'm asking. Could be Callaway. Could be what Titleist, the uh, Cobras, ah, King Cobra. Good Bryson King Cobra. didn't like his Cobras, right? He uh, complained about that. Did he? I yeah. Don't know. To the oh, Cobra yeah. people, always they were kind oh, of really? upset. Well, oh. he said it like somebody was like, "What's what's happening with your driver?" He's like, I, "This thing's just a piece of crap." And uh, always blame the equipment to like the media, you know, and then the Cobra dude was like, yeah, this guy's just like an eight year old. Like you you can't control him. Obviously, that was a dumb thing to say. Man wants a better Cobra. Make it happen, you know. Um, Anyway, I think the Niners might cover this whole thing (laughs) as much as I want to see. I want to see Jared Goff. Um, I I also think there's a chance that Lions offensive line, even outside of Panay Sewell, looks pretty good. So that battle against the Niners defensive line will be fun to watch. Mm hmm. Um, Taylor Decker's on my all 22 fantasy team, by the way. Stop. Stop it. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Taylor, I don't care, and I'm in the league. I'm just trying to hype up the future of fantasy football yeah. here. They told me we can hype it up. Nobody cares about your fantasy team. That's one of the I, cardinal it's my rules way. of broadcasting. Regardless of the medium, they don't care. I should bench him against Nick Bosa, though, maybe. You're right. Nobody cares about anybody's fantasy Nobody. team. Defending my Taking title. Taking the 49ers. The taking them to win. I'll take the Niners. Niners to cover. Just four more games, Sam. Four yeah. more. What a week. Big week here. Los Angeles Clippers. <laughs> Every single time I see LAC, I think Clippers. Of course, it's the Chargers. Chargers at the football team. The football team. Your Super Bowl prediction. <laughs> the football team. The, the soon-to-be Super Bowl champ football team. Favored really by only one at home against the uh, the Chargers. Well, as I told you, it's going to be a, a full Flacco followed by a full Foles. So we're not going to know that until they get to the... You know, the playoffs. So they stumble through the season. Yeah, yeah. And then get hot. And get hot. Uh Uh-huh. To just remind people of how crazy the Flacco season was, they made an offensive coordinator switch during the middle of the season. And Flacco looked horrible. (laughs) Like, just not good at all by about week 12. And then they were good from about week 13 through 17. And then they were very good in the playoffs. And that was it. You know, that it just flew in the face of all this week-to-week analysis that we do. It was literally just the Ravens went on a run, and Flacco went from not so good to pretty good, really good for a while. Anyway, what are you looking for in this Chargers football team matchup? Uh, I want to see Fitzpatrick. Like, he looks like a different quarterback. He doesn't look like the Ryan Fitzpatrick from earlier in his career. He has transformed from Fitzpatrick to Fitzmagic. Um, now, it doesn't mean he's eliminated all the bad from his game. You're still going to see some roller coaster games in there. But you look at preseason, he looked sharp. He looked like he's capable of hitting those big throws, moving the ball, being efficient, not making glaring mistakes. Um, and this is a, this is, is it fair to say this is the best team that he's been on in his career? Yeah, it's, I mean, the Bucks offense in 2018, but maybe not mm-hmm. as an overall team. But yeah, Washington's up there as far as the best team. So this is a, playoff caliber team that has a quarterback at the helm who's never had a better team around him than he has right now and I think he's playing the best football of his career I'm genuinely excited to see what Fitzmagic can do with this offense I saw Eric Crocker just saw the uh, Jamar Chase 
quote. Yeah. What do you say? Ah, Chase really said this, huh? Uh-huh. LOL. Yeah. It's not good. what he said. It's not good. Um, Austin Eckler is out. So, you know, Officially? For, I mean, he's questionable. Sorry, sorry, okay. sorry. Big news yesterday was he was he was questionable. The thing to watch here is after all of the offseason talking about how the Chargers revamped their offensive line, now they have to face this Washington defensive front. So this is another game where the trenches are, are the thing to watch. The Chargers, with four new starters up front, with Corey Lindsley, our highest-graded center last year by PFF, Rashawn Slater, our number two tackle on our draft board, uh, first-round pick there, Matt Filer, the all-everything free agent. They're all there. And they, they got to face this Washington defensive front. We did a PFF daily a few months back or a few weeks ago where we said, hey, this is the best young defensive front with Chase Young and mm-hmm. Jonathan Allen and all these dudes, uh, Montez Sweat. What a matchup this is. We might come out of this saying, well, the Chargers didn't fix their offensive line. At least for one week, it might be you know, tough sailing for, for the Chargers. Uh, but if they can just play better there, how does Herbert? How does Herbert handle year two here? Right. I mean, they had the second worst pass blocking grade in the NFL last year, and all we did was rave about Herbert and his development and what he looked like. He was fantastic under pressure. Yeah, he's going to regress, but he'll have more clean pockets. So, what does he look like? New offensive system. The Herbert the Herbert thing is going to be fun to watch, but really want to watch this Chargers offensive line and see how they handle Washington. Sure. Yeah, I think that's an interesting thing to watch as well. So like Washington, it's not as, it's not as interesting this? as Fitz Magic, but whatever. Okay, cool. Plus William Jackson. Yeah. William Jackson against Keenan Allen and Mike Williams and Josh Palmer and that secondary would be a nice little matchup to watch. Who do you like? Washington by one per DraftKings. Yeah. That's an it is an interesting line, this one. Um oh, I really like this Washington football team. I'm gonna take him and take him to cover. I'll take Washington as well. I think the I think they'll have games where they can they can win. They can win with their defensive line, which has continued to get better and better. So, give me Washington. Man, you just never know. I want to see Staley's defense, too. I want to see Derwin back and healthy. See I, mean, Derwin. I just want to see Derwin play football, too. Anyway, I'll take Washington to cover the one. Philadelphia Eagles at the Atlanta Falcons. Falcons are favored by three and a half. This is – does this look like – I mean, the last two games that we're going to – before Monday Night Football probably look like the, the least intriguing games of the week. The Eagles – and the Falcons both in rebuilding mode. We'll talk about Jets and the Panthers in a minute. That Sam Donald revenge game, though, is interesting. Um, but as far as Eagles and Falcons, what are you looking for here? Kyle Pitts. Heck yeah. Um, the guy. What has, does Pitts look like in the NFL? We are talking about a the youngest tight end in the NFL and the most unique athlete to come into the league at that position ever. And because he's basically had like a couple of snaps in preseason we've almost forgotten about him we're all excited about all the guys we have seen all the quarterbacks look great blah 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 we haven't seen Kyle Pitts yet we had that one play and he looked great looked really fast right now what does it look like for a whole game what does it look like how much is he getting the ball is he getting all the Julio targets is he now their number one receiver how much are they going to use him in that unicorn hybrid role and how much is he just going to be you know a conventional tight end just I don't care. Nothing about this game interests me except Kyle Pitts. That's what I'm watching. Yeah, I wrote down Kyle Pitts too. Mm-hmm. I'm most interested in that. I think obviously Jalen Hurts and where he is in his development. Dean Pease, I want to see the Atlanta defense. I want to see what they look, how they look different with Dean Pease. I don't think they've got great talent. We might learn a little bit if they can scheme it up to just be an average defense. Because that's to me, that's the story of Atlanta's season. As long as Matt Ryan's the quarterback, 
And yeah, you lose Julio, but if Pitts and Calvin Ridley become a good enough one-two punch, Matt Ryan, Lions solid enough. If the defense gets back toward average with Dean Pease, Atlanta's an eight or nine win team, right? I mean, they're at least a competitive team fighting for a playoff spot, and we might learn pretty quickly. We'll also learn Pease likes to mix it up, add on blitzers, various things like that to maybe confuse Jalen Hurts, who's still a young quarterback. Yeah, I mean, ordinarily the idea that Kyle Pitts could replace anything to do with Julio Jones would be ridiculous if you were saying, hey, you lose a number one wide receiver and your replacement is a tight end, even if he's a good tight end, because they do very, very different things. But what makes Pitts special is the ability to potentially do a lot of that number one wide receiver stuff. Right. So you can create the kind of thing they had with Julio and Calvin Ridley and now with Julio and A.J. Brown, which is one of them on one side of the field playing X receiver, the other one on the other side of the field playing the Z, both being you know pure wide receivers against cornerbacks and forcing a defense to split the difference. And that's a nightmare for a defense to deal with. Now, it doesn't mean they will, but I want to see if that's what they're planning. I'll say this too. Philadelphia looks like they're going to be a really zone-heavy system. And there have been games like Matt Ryan. Let's not forget how good Matt Ryan has been throughout his career. There are games like when, he, like when Tampa used to come into town with this average defense. They sit there in, in zone. Ryan would just pick them apart over and over and over again. First down after first down. I could see that happening in this game of Philadelphia. I don't want to overreact to preseason, but if they play in a similar way as they did in the preseason – um, even though they've got some names in the secondary with Steven Nelson and Darius Slay. But that, if Kyle Pitts starts moving around, is there a cat and mouse game with using a Slay to cover him, right? I mean, that's it's all going to be great to watch. Um, it's also a battle of, you know, Devontae Smith versus Kyle yes. Pitts, the two best receiving options in all of college football last year in their in their debuts here in the NFL. Yeah, excited about Devontae Smith, too. I'm going to take Atlanta to cover the three and a half. Ooh. Hook scary from DraftKings, but where are you going here? Philly. You got Philly, huh? Yep. To win and cover. How are they going to do it? Uh, by being better than Atlanta. All right. That's a good, good answer. Mm -hmm. Scoring more points generally is, is how you win the game, Steve. Sam Darnold revenge game. God. Jets at Panthers. Yeah. Good job, schedule makers. <laughs> Zach Wilson's debut. Uh, let's, not, let's not forget. It's not just about Sam Darnold here. It's Zach Wilson's just about, debut. It's not about Sam Darnold at all. It's not just about Sam Not Darnold. at all. No. Um, it's not about him at all? Okay. Yeah, look, I talked a little bit on the daily about how Carolina's offensive line against the Jets' defensive line is going to be something pretty interesting to watch. So I'm not going to repeat that here. The thing that I'm interested in is Elijah Moore. Um, he was a guy that polarized a lot of people in draft time. Me and Mike have a bet on how much he's going to play outside. Because when I looked at his tape, I saw a slot receiver only. Um, and a guy who was going to be a really, really good slot receiver but I had major question marks about whether he could play outside at the next level if, I mean, partly because his team didn't seem to think he could do it in college. Like anytime he did line up outside, which was very rare, they had him stacked behind somebody. They made sure he you're had gonna, a free release. You're going to lose this bet though. Why? Because going to a Shanahan type of system as the Jets run, mm -hmm. they, they are more likely to use a slot type of receiver on the outside because they use tight splits. So you can kind of get the effect that you're saying. You're, yeah. bas you're basically saying he can't play outside because he won't get off press, whatever. Shanahan says, okay, fine. I'm going to go tight splits. I'm going to motion him in. I'm going to do all these different things. So technically by our data, he's going to look like an outside receiver while playing a slotty type of role. Whatever. Anyway, 
he becomes an interesting guy to watch because he's been lighting up training camp, which would probably be expected whether or not he was a great slaughter or a great slot or a guy that can do everything. Um, but then he's missed time, hasn't seen, uh, has been injured, hasn't seen the field. And now we're going to get to see him because uh, who's their slot receiver? Is that Jamison Crowder is not there. So all of a sudden the door has been open for him to get this significant role right out of the gate. Um, I'm just, he's a really interesting player to watch because of that. Yeah, there's a lot of storylines in here. The great Corey Davis as number one receiver for Zach Wilson. Um, I I really want to see this Jets offensive line. Uh, They made the big move to get Elijah Vera Tucker in the first round at guard. Makai Becton in year two. They bring in Morgan Moses. That looks like a good trio. Um, McGovern and Van Roten, they could be the classic creep back toward average offensive line. I think they'll be a better run blocking unit. It's an interesting story to me that they're they're rolling with Ty Johnson and Tevin Coleman and rookie Michael Carter as the running backs. It's it's the most nondescript running back room in the NFL. But again, the Shanahan world, the Shanahan system has done a great job of making names of those guys. I think we could see a really good crisp Jets offense. We I think Zach Wilson's gonna be good. The offensive line's gonna be better, the receivers could be better. Everything about this Jets offense. I am uh, I am fascinated by, um, and then again with Carolina, what's their defense? Uh, what's their offensive line going to look like for Darnold? I love their playmakers too. Um, did you see the stat Renner put out about the Jets secondary? We, we've talked about it a little bit, but they're all first or second year players. No one drafted above the fifth round. Yeah, I mean, we've made that point before. But it's like, but when you see, when you hear that stat and you. I mean, when we when we read the names, we read the names a couple shows ago. Mm-hmm. Bryce Hall, Isaiah Dunn, Javelin Gidry. Massive question. Can Robert Sala work his magic with, again, nondescript would be the best way to describe the, uh, yeah, I the mean, back seven? At least they're not old guys that were never drafted before the fifth round. Like, True. You, you can at least lean on the idea that they're young and there's uh, untapped potential there. Also, Michael Carter, too. Michael two. Carter and Michael Carter, too, for the Jets. So the Panthers are favored by four yeah. in this game. Give me the Jets, man. I'm never buying a Sam Darnold-led team by four. I am what taking... would Sam Darnold have to do to make you, not even a believer, but at least think that he was okay? Play better than he has. Okay, that's good. A yeah. lot better, in fact. Yeah. Is there a grading threshold or anything? No, I mean, like he, the dude Break is into the pretty 70s. consistently grading at like 50 to 60. If he ups that like consistently, I'll think he's better. If he plays better than bad, I will think he's a better than bad player. You're fair. Yeah. Until stern, he does that. Stern but fair, Sam. <laughs> until he does that, I'm going to assume that he's still a bad player. Stern but fair. I'm not buying. Like, I just think that this whole thing has been overblown, the idea that Sam Darnold is the victim of the Jets. Like, the Jets aren't that dramatically different now, and it just immediately looks different when Zach Wilson goes in there. Like when Baker Mayfield went in for the Browns, in the game, it looked different. It was like a flick of a switch. From Tyrod, too. Right. And it's like, those quarterbacks, the ones that are definitely not bad, whatever you think about where Baker is right now, we can all agree that he isn't a bad quarterback. Sure. Right? Those guys, it just looks immediately like something different. And even if the situation around them might be the thing that's preventing them being, you know, top 10 or great, they can immediately make a discernible, tangible difference that you can just see. Darnold never did that. Never. You would occasionally get a great play and like, ah, oh, that's why he was drafted number three overall. That's why, you know, those guys still think he's great. And it just, it, that was it. Disappeared. Never came back. And then, you know, you'd wait another half or the next game and then you'd see another one. 
All right, we're going to wrap it up here. We've got uh, Baltimore Ravens at the Las Vegas Raiders. By the way, if you're live in the YouTube chat, hit that thumbs up button. It always helps. Thumbs up, add your comments, all that stuff. Gets the video moving, right? It gets it flowing through the uh, YouTube algorithm. So the thumbs up helps. Uh, appreciate everybody tuning in live. We'll be here every single Thursday preview in the week. What's the what's the condescending <laughs> look? Did you have any idea what you just said? Or you just... Yeah, yeah, no, it does. Oh, yeah. It helps. When people are talking about the video and interacting with the video, YouTube recognizes it. Hmm. And then they then they push. They push their propaganda on other people. Okay. And what we really want is PFF NFL podcast propaganda being pushed onto people so they click on it and they learn how great we are. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's how that's how we do it. And we all work together. Yeah. We do read the chat. I read the chat, King. I read the chat. We haven't done Monday night yet. We're doing it right now. Look, I answered your question. I'm interacting with the people. Mm. Uh, Vegas hosting the Raiders. The um, Vegas hosting the Ravens. It was close. RA. Ish. Uh, Ravens are favored by four on the road here. Are you sad about only one Monday night football game? Or are you uh, happy you're going to get a little bit more sleep without the uh, the late night version? I am ambivalent on it. I kind of like the I, – I don't dislike the doubleheader on Monday nights. But, I mean, I'll, you know, I'll take less. There's some, there's some late nights sometimes. It's not like we're missing out on the football. It's, it's there somewhere. It's well, for the first night. time in a while, it's just a, a single Monday night football game. Uh, Ravens at the Raiders. What are we looking at here? Yeah, I, I mean, the thing to see this season is – can this Baltimore pass game get fixed? But I don't know that we're going to see that with their top receivers all out. Right. Um, so, you know, when we get a healthy Rashad Bateman, a healthy Sammy Watkins, a healthy Marquise Brown all there at the same time, maybe we'll learn something. Until that's the case, I think you kind of have to stick a pin in it and say, well, we'll come back to this later. At which point, the thing to watch, I, I, I'm curious to see if Henry Ruggs can step into that role. I, when you go through his tape last year, I think he got a little bit screwed by just circumstance and he got hurt at the wrong time. They went away from him a bit. Nelson Aguilar and Carr forged this connection. And at that point, you can't really, you can't go away from the thing that's working just to force feed Henry Ruggs. Now, I think they could have done a better job in like modifying his role and still making better use of him than they did. But ultimately, they, they didn't. So he didn't grade well. He didn't play particularly well. He didn't make an impact. Now he's got to be that guy. He has to be the deep threat. He has to replace what they lost in Nelson Aguilar and show that he can be the kind of player that they, they drafted him to be and all the pressures on him. So I'm curious to see, can he step up? I, I think that's an exciting storyline, but we talked about it with Doug yesterday. And when you lay it out, Ruggs, if, if they use Ruggs skill set the right way, and if Edwards is pretty good and Renfro, Darren Waller, Foster Moreau, Josh Jacobs, Kenyon Drake, and Gruden in the offense have done a good job over the last couple of years. I think ultimately the Raiders offense gets there. I, I think they'll be fine. I keep coming back to the Raiders have to play better defensively. So now against the Ravens, can you stop the run? Can you stop the run with your with your front seven? Uh, contain Lamar Jackson. What does it look like at the linebacker position? I do find it fascinating, Sam, that the entire Seattle tree of coaches have attacked the linebacker position with vigor this offseason. I mean, Dan Quinn in Dallas, um, the Raiders, over the last couple of years now, bringing in Corey Littleton, K.J. Wright, Nick Kwiatkowski, uh, Denzel Perryman, drafted Divine Diablo. I mean, that's a lot of investment at linebacker they've also all for gone, that system. They've also all gone signing former members of the system somewhere else. I mean, that sure. happens throughout the NFL all the time. But this, again, this scheme does appear to be abnormally reliant on 
like specific engineered players that fit that system. So the Raiders go and sign KJ Wright at the last minute to try and give them like a, a sure thing at linebacker. It's madness to me that KJ Wright was still available at this point. Yeah, in the I mean, it's season. a good pickup. He should be good. He's, he's just still, a solid player. He's still one of the better linebackers in the NFL and has been for his entire career in that system. But Dallas signed Keanu Neal, you know, a player that came from that system in Atlanta. Like, everybody running this system does appear to be desperately trying to find the specific players that work within this system. I, I want to see how the system plays out with uh, Trevon Merrig. Uh, we liked him as a first-round safety. They got him in the second. Can they rejuvenate Jonathan Abram in the true strong safety role in this in this system? Is Trayvon Mullen a good fit for it? They bring in Casey Hayward, who has had success here, like you said, guys that have, have had, had that history here. Um, so I just want to see this Raiders defense in general. Of course, against the Ravens, like I said, the run defense is probably more front and center just in this particular game. But the Raiders defense as a whole, just want to see how they're, how they're looking, man. Mm -hmm. uh, Jonathan Hankins and Gerald McCoy as the defensive tackles. That's probably the need first time we're seeing McCoy for a while. Yeah, first time we're seeing McCoy. So it's a lot of veterans. It's a lot of moving parts. And again, if the, Ra if the Raiders can improve there, they're a dangerous team. Just like they're as dangerous as the Chargers in that division and, and the Broncos. I mean, it could be a really competitive AFC West if the Raiders' defense gets better. Uh, all that said, I will take the Ravens. Have we looked up the Ravens' opening weeks the last couple of years? Oh, you're not delving into history for this? It's something ridiculous, though. Um, they they just they win by like a hundred every single <laughs> every single week one. So last year they won thirty eight to six. Yeah, against the Browns in uh, that beatdown game. Don't give me this against the Browns. Against the Browns. But the last three years it's just been insane. In last year was thirty eight to six. Uh -huh. Two thousand nineteen was fifty nine to ten that's against a, the Dolphins. That's a paddling. Uh, Forty seven to three against the Bills in 2018 so add three, this all up just are they three, are they three consecutive new regimes was that the first year of flores and bills in 18 no bills had it was one year into it was McDermott. the first year of josh allen yeah but it was the it second been, year of mcdermott second year of mcdermott okay first year of flores first year of stefanski correct uh 2017 beat the bengals only 20 to nothing in week one and uh only won 13 to seven in 2016 in week one against the bills but the last three years the ravens have won by about 100 as i said yeah over their teams i don't know if it means anything but just like they seem to always win in the preseason they seem to be prepared for week one so i'll take the ravens to uh to win and to cover the four here all right on the road on monday night football you've convinced me i think there's probably <laughs> there's probably some things working uh towards that weird three that game was, run of beatdowns but that was like the um there was an old ken wisenhunt stat when he was the head coach of the titans they only won on oh, they won opening day two or three straight years and then they were terrible otherwise okay. he was like three and oh if you give them 300 if you give them like 200 days to prepare <laughs> he's three and oh but anything like under 10 you know he's like you know two and hundred you know yeah okay so anyway yeah. it's like it's andy reed still has the thing where he's like never lost out of a buy or something insane right Something like that. His record well, coming the Super out of a bye is madness. Super Bowl a bye? Probably. He just lost the Super yeah, Bowl. Yeah, I don't think it's undefeated, but he has some absurd record coming out of a bye. Yeah, and it's usually just if you're good, you're not going to lose. Yes. But uh, anyway, that's good. That's it, man. Week one. We just Done. previewed week one. It was a lot of fun. We appreciate everybody. Don't forget, kick off 30, 30% off all of your PFF subscriptions right now over at pff.com. So go check it out before we take it away. Kick off 3-0. Shout out to Manscaped and Fantrax and DraftKings for supporting the podcast and uh, just 
making it all happen. Again, give us that thumbs up if you got if you if you if you feel like it over on YouTube. We appreciate it. If you feel like it. Yeah. I don't want to push anybody. I don't want to twist anybody's arm. I don't care if you feel like it. Click the like. Click the, just click do it. It's pretty simple. Button. Just do the thumbs up. Yeah. Just don't don't give us the thumbs down too. We're not the no. forecast. They get all the thumbs down. We apologize. Nobody, don't, nobody don't likes those thumbs guys. down. Nobody likes George and Eric, right? We do. They're nice guys. I'm just letting you dig yourself a grave. Here. Digging really. Uh, it's time going. to go. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. Don't forget, we're here early Monday morning, 7 a.m. live on YouTube. The audio will be up just after that. We'll be reviewing everything from week one. And, of course, the PFF Daily will be there tomorrow recapping tonight's game, Bucks and Cowboys. Enjoy the football, everybody. Week one is upon us. See you Monday.